felt like God flipped a light switch. It just turned on the nighttime sky from from calm darkness to bright orange, whole sky, 100% even, one second off, gone. So God just went click on, click off. That's my memory. Okay, guys, welcome back to the Grime America show. Uh, we're going to be chatting with Mike Cleland and RPJ a little bit later. And we've got Justin joining us for the intro. But first, as always, Teriyaki Graham. Hey, buddy. How's it going? Good, good. I've got my voice almost back. It's not 100%, but You're getting it's almost there. there, yeah. I still can't sing the real high notes. <laughs> I never could. So we got Mike Cleland on this episode talking about uh, his new book and owls and synchronicities and all kinds of great stuff. It's a awesome chat with Red Pill Junkie as well. And Justin, how you doing, buddy? Oh, I'm doing good. Right on. Thanks for uh, joining us. Hey, thanks for having me. It's always a pleasure. Do we need to talk about X-Files right away? or Right away? You want to yeah, jump right into jump that? right into X-Files? Because it's pretty, pretty, pretty cool shit. I haven't seen it. Yes, you did. Yeah, I did. Did you, Justin? I haven't. No, I just I just found out that it aired. Okay, let's see it then. It's gonna be pretty. We could just wreck it for Justin. <laughs> yeah, let's. We, we don't have to talk about it. Okay, uh, you guys can if you want. It's all right. No, everybody else does. We'll wait. Well, what if, what if all the listeners haven't watched it? Then you yeah, just ruin it for let's them just too. wait. Well, let's wait till it gets we'll like give halfway it a through couple of weeks. Yeah, yeah. Let's give it a couple of weeks. Oh fuck! Trying to trick me. Darren's right off the bat trying to trick me. You know what I just thought of though? I don't think this has the. No. Okay. I haven't put the one with the X Files music. Oh, which is interesting because this is a quote. This so is we've a decided quote not in... to do the X Files yet. So I decided not to have that jingle on the new oh, soundboard yet. Okay. And I'm deciding to do a UFO quote of the week that is. Um, is indicative of the X Files, or it's in what? Do you, what's the word I'm looking for? Indicative sounds no. good. Okay. So, on the that. basis of my official research and investigation into UFO sightings and reports of alien contact, I am personally convinced that intelligence extraterrestrials are visiting Earth. I say this on the basis of the data available to me at the Ministry of Defense both in terms of the historic records and the several hundred new cases that I investigated each year. There was a hardcore of cases that defied any conventional explanation and involved craft capable of speeds and maneuvers beyond the capabilities of our own technology. I was particularly interested in UFO sightings that could be correlated by radar and in reports where the witnesses were military personnel. Such as cases, such cases were directly responsible for my gradual conversion from skeptic to believer that was nick pope head of the ufo desk at air secretariat 2-a british ministry of defense from 91 to 94 basically the fox molder of the uk and friend of the show yeah we had him on once that's why i called him yeah. a friend of the show <laughs> yeah so there you have it there you have it I miss the other quotes. We should go back to what take a couple of UFOs off. Well, this kind of I a, think UFO-centric episode. Bro. Well, yeah, I get that. I propose a new segment. A new segment? A new segment. You can have listeners send in a quote, 
of all aspects of paranormal conspiracy, uh, alternative healing, new Con- age. consciousness. Yeah. And then, and then you can choose one to read. Yeah. That's a great idea. I can, I can use it to step on your UFO quote of the week. Yeah. But you're going to need another jingle. I don't know if, if you want to do that. Yeah. Darren's obsessed with yeah. jingles. So he'd want to do that. <laughs> well, listeners can send a jingle in along with it too. Send a jingle and a quote. Yeah. Oh, that's a good idea, Justin. I would uh, like to hear some of those. They're in the more profound quote of the week. I got a quote here, actually. I, a listener did send one quote. in. I have one right here, actually. Perfect. Is that a this is from. Recipe? This is Rated from. Quick. This is from. <laughs> this is from <laughs> David David. I like that. Welcome to the Boomtown. You don't get it, do you? That's not. That's that's you weren't born yet. <laughs> What's Boomtown? Is it Detroit? Song? Welcome to the Boomtown. Is Boomtown Detroit? It's Calgary. No, I don't know if it was a specific city. I don't think it was. Boomtown used to be Detroit, Detroit didn't yeah. know. Yeah, maybe. So this is a subject is now we now we really know what goes on in the igloo. And this is a quote from Whoa. show one nine at the six seventeen mark. I can deal with podcasting in my underwear butt fucking. That's from Darren. Do you remember that quote, Darren? I think he's taking the butt fucking out of context. <laughs> Is he? Yeah. What did you say? I think I said something along the lines of like, I think I was like starting butt fucking this or that. I don't know what. what? You never Whoa. use it in that context. That's a totally. I don't use butt fucking as fucking people in the butt context on the show either. Well, apparently he did. Yeah, there's a quote I don't know. I'm pulling it up right now. Anyways, he continues on and says, thank you for all you do. No agenda may claim to be the best podcast in the universe, but you are by far my favorite. I have more to say and will do so soon. But for now, just realize that we love you guys and appreciate all the sweat, blood, and tears you put into America. It shines because of it. Thank you, Hippie Billy. Thanks, Hippie Billy. Did you say 139? Uh, show 139 at 617. Okay. So I'll take us in at 6.05. I might as well just keep going on that. Zero or maybe five degrees in here. I think we're going to drop an insulated tarp over top of it, too, just to double up. Oh, wait, that's, that's only idea, five minutes. Yeah, I can deal with podcasting in my underwear. But fucking, I don't like that look you just gave me. Made it weird. But I'm not down with podcasting in a park. Yeah, see, I was saying, but fucking, but fucking, I'm not down with. But fucking, I'm not down with. (laughs) That's because Graham was looking at me all weird. Because you're talking about fucking. No, because I wasn't yet. I was talking about podcasting in my underwear. Graham got all excited. (laughs) <laughs> and I was like, and then I was going to say, but fucking, I'd rather not podcast in the park. And grandma's looking at me weird. So I stopped talking. Oh, okay. Well, that was pretty, pretty, uh, that is a pretty good quote. Pretty, yeah. Thanks. Hippie Billy. That's pretty funny. Yeah. You could ISO that and make me sound pretty ridiculous, especially if you cut that pause, cut out, pause out a little out, bit. Yeah. And it was just like, I could handle podcasting yeah. and underwear butt fucking. Yeah. That's pretty good. <laughs> Sorry for all the vulgarity at the beginning here, Mike Cloudland, but, uh, oh. 
So do you want me to continue on? We, we, I do want to thank some people for some reviews. We, I don't know. How did we get four like that real quick? We put, sort of put the call out, but I want to thank, uh, the Ramblin' Graham. He was, uh, that was the title of the review, I guess. That was from, uh, or somebody's Will, adopted your persona. Will triple eight one from the UK. Actually, a lot of these guys are from the UK. So big shout out to our UK listeners that are actually reviewing it. Uh, wonderful. That's from Butch Binding from the UK. Awesome from Rin R Y N seven six from the USA. And then excellent podcast from Jake Dorset of the UK. Where are the Canadians at? I don't know, eh? I don't know. Better come out, guys. Americans are beating you. Better come out. Come on Anyways, out, eh? for the, that, that really helps. The reviews help. Obviously, you know, when I go look for a podcast, if I see a bunch of good reviews, it helps me choose that podcast. So not only does it help the algorithm in iTunes, but obviously people get attracted to podcasts with good reviews. So thank you. Absolutely. Trying to hear my personal synchro from after the show last week. I do. Oh, is that when you, when I woke up to your excited text in the morning? Yeah. Okay. What are we going to hit this with? Well, since, uh, yeah, love this one, Justin, since, uh, Nikki, our buddy, Nikki, the dude, Nicky Manfield just commented that his favorite jingle is I want a good skull for my synchronicity if Graham reads it out then Dara might give it to me hey don't you please read it low yeah yeah so I'm not asking for a synchro on this I mean a, a rating well, I'm rating it yeah <laughs> <laughs> but I gotta and it's gonna be hard to explain here so so uh, this is after our Grant Cameron episode it was late I'm getting home I'm talking to my sister on the phone I get in the door my cat's going like meow 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 crazy Zeus is just How is bothering me just meow 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 like meow? yeah <laughs> he, it's I'm wondering what the hell's up with him right so I'm thinking so I, I hang up with my sister I'm thinking what's going on with Zeus? I go, Oh, do you think I've, maybe I haven't emptied the litter for a while. And like, usually I'll do it on the weekend or something, but he's got to use this recycled, uh, some recycled paper litter that doesn't smell. And I can, he can go like a week or a week and a half without even doing it. And I just dump the whole thing out. So I'm humming and hawing cause it's late. And I usually won't do it at night like that. It's like, I'll do it every weekend or something like that. And I'm in the kitchen. I'm thinking, okay, do I have enough to? I just want to listen to another podcast. What do I want to do? Like, do I, I still have to make coffee and do a few things before bed, even though it was getting late? So I, I, I scroll through my phone. I have another make time. coffee at midnight. Yeah, I put it. I, I set it on a timer for the morning. Oh, so I'm deciding what podcast do I listen to. Do I start a new one now? Late night. Usually, I won't do that either, right? And I decide to pick Duncan Trussell's podcast. So I put it on. A peek inside Graham's personal podcast. Like. And and I go into the storage room where the litter box is, and I pick up this old letter that's been way too long. <laughs> like, I'm thinking, how long has it been since I changed Zeus's litter? The poor cat. And as I'm picking up the thing and dumping it into the paper bag, this comes on the podcast. Uh-oh. This episode of the... Three different cat litter boxes that have not been changed in a million years. And according to the Tibetan Book of the Dead, these cat turds are actually alive. And as your soul desperately tries... <laughs> right as I was pouring the, the cat litter out, 
he said cat litter boxes that haven't been changed. Mm. Pretty weird. See, but you see, this is an example of how personally when it happened, it was pretty fucking crazy. All these weird thoughts and hesitations and things I decided to do to come together to like well, this a good little thing. mini it's probably synchronicity. probably a good thing you emptied the cat litter. Yeah. Or something fucking terrible yeah. was going to happen. Is that what you think? Eh? Yeah. Yeah. There would have been a spark during that day or the fucking waft of the methane would have caught the pilot light in the stove. <laughs> Just getting that bad, eh? Wind from under the door. <laughs> Perfect. All right. So I will give it a five. I don't want to rate it. I don't okay. know, but it was it pretty s- important at the time. Even when I say it now, it doesn't seem as important, but it felt pretty weird. You know Zeus, what? I'm like, what's the chance of Duncan Chessel talking about cat litter? It was what probably a that. fucking 10 to Zeus. Yeah. But it's a five to me. (laughs) (laughs) All the good synchros are the ones that are hard to explain. Yeah. Okay, I got a real one here from a listener. Ooh. Mm Mm-hmm. A real one. Did you want to do another jingle? Uh, no. No? Okay. So this is from uh, Ferdinand. Long-time listener and friend of the show. First-time caller? No. Okay. He says, good day, chaps. You may have seen Mike Cleland of the Hidden Experience blog doing the rounds recently to promote his new book about UFOs, owls, and synchronicity. And I was reminded that when I first started going through his podcasts and blogs a couple of years back, I was inundated with an onslaught of owl-related imagery that kept popping up everywhere. Seeing something everywhere just after you hear about it can often be the case with profound topics. Hence, D-Ron's low synchro ratings. Am I right? But I certainly felt there was something to this. I think the syndrome he's talking about is the Volkswagen bug syndrome. I've got that. I've got the synchro bug. No, no, no. He's talking about when you first see something and then you yeah, see, then it you see it everywhere. Yeah, everywhere yeah. It's Volkswagen bug syndrome. Yeah, because the simulation can only handle so much, so it's just easier to throw more bugs in there. It oh probably God. only handles so many different cars at a time. We only actually see, you know, there's 50 different kinds of cars you can see. And the Volkswagen bug isn't in there till one pops by. So you're not really taking a skeptical view of it. You're taking the digital universe view of... Exactly. Right. And your synchros suck in the digital universe. Okay. I can't help that. Okay. Does that only work with cars? No. I want to start thinking about beautiful blonde women. Awesome. If that's how it works. And then you'll start seeing them everywhere. That's, that's the idea. I'll okay, test well, it out. I'll let you guys know. Are you okay. eating your laptop? What? I know when you were talking, it sounds like you're rubbing your beard on your... Do you have a beard? Oh, no, it's possible. I was thinking about... For some reason, I'm picturing you with a beard. Yeah, I wonder if you're going down on your laptop. <laughs> <laughs> no, you're actually... Uh, you're, you're through some headphones right now. All right, so he finishes... He's, he continues on here. He says, For me, it culminated with a trip to London to visit my sister. When I got to the hostel... The poster advertising the nightclub's, the night's pub crawl used an owl as the only image. As I noticed this, a girl walked past with a picture of an owl on her top. Then as I was telling my sister about all this later that day, it turned out she was wearing a necklace which had an owl pendant on it. Apparently she never wears it, and it just felt compelling that day for her to wear it. I've read online a lot of people have had owl synchronicities after going through Mike's material. 
So I'm wondering if this has also been the case for any Gramerica listeners out there who are familiar with his work. Nothing too crazy happened for me, but I certainly got more than a little weird after a while. I mean, owls just simply weren't in my life before that. I can only imagine how the man himself must feel. Also, some kind of bird just hooted outside as I'm writing this. It may have been an owl. Keep up the good work anyway. That John Anthony West show was bloody brilliant. Yours truly, Ferdinand. <laughs> and uh, he sent this not knowing that we had Mike Clown. Oh, he might have known. I don't know. But I, he didn't say that we had Mike Clown coming up. But you and I got it before. So it was got, on this episode. No, I just got it before. After our last recording and before this recording. Hmm. And I have a sister... Owl Mike Clellan synchronicity as well. Ow. Oh boy. When I started listening to Mike's synchronicities and owls and I was telling my sister about it, she had just had a synchronicity with her friends about owl artwork and owls. Owls are good because you don't see a lot of them. Maybe some people do. Well, alien abductees do. What? Yeah, they do. Apparently. Apparently. Allegedly. I, uh, and we seen an owl while we were talking to Mike. On the, th- on the thing? On the screen yeah. here, yeah. Hmm. Something's up. The Matrix. Something the ma- is up a with the Matrix or either the... Or, Maybe the or, owls are the agents. Or the Matrix is leveling up or whoever's playing the Matrix is leveling up or something. Nobody's leveling up. <laughs> <laughs> that is fucking ridiculous. <laughs> Respawn? What's that, Justin? Maybe they're just respawning. Oh, maybe. The Matrix doesn't level up. No one's playing the Matrix. Maybe. Maybe your video game? Seems like a pretty shitty video game, though. Like whoever's... You know what I mean? Well, you know, like, making those little synchros happen is like, you know, like Mario, like, jumping through the the coin or whatever. How is it like that? You can't picture that? No. You're the digital universe guy. You tell me. (laughs) <laughs> what's next should i rate that yeah man give sure. it a, uh, it's a pretty good one all those owls happening all at once after he's looking into mike's stuff yeah 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 whole yeah. So, owl mike show let's give it a seven point it's been a while since two. about a seven yeah so what do you think justin what about you 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 had Justin rate it. You go ahead, well, Justin. You should rate it. No, 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 no. Rating it in general. I meant. No, no, that that's pretty. I'm gonna stick with actually with Darren's rating. That, that seemed pretty fair, actually. See, and Justin that, that's has like been the only crushed. One I agree with Darren. Really? Just you about. usually think he's too low or um too high? No, actually, some some of them some of them seem too high. Some of them seem too low. This one depends on the donate. on, buddy. <laughs> Graham, I'll rate your last one at a ten. Nice, because I like you. Thanks, buddy. When the when donations or spam come with the synchro, then it's been known to influence the score. <laughs> <laughs> no corruption. I'll, I'll keep that in mind. I'll keep that in mind. Oh, I got a squatty potty. Is that what you sent me the picture of? Yeah. What the? I don't understand oh, what dude. the significance is. You got to get one you? of those. Yeah. Oh, I thought it was for your kids. No, that's for me, man. Oh, because my legs go to sleep. It is a fucking game changer. Do you know what this is, Justin? Uh, no. 
A squatty potty? It sounds very intriguing, though. It's Can't like, you just put a stool underneath your toilet? Or a stool oh, in your toilet and a stool in front of your toilet? It's like a little stool that you squat. It makes you squat. And the poop just falls out of you. Oh, I'm having bigger poops. No. I'm getting more out no. in half the time. No, and it's only and it's been like it's only been like four days. Are they cleaner? Are you losing your gut? I, I think it's, it's healthier, too soon isn't it? to tell. It's supposed to be. Yeah, it's supposed to be real good for you. Really? Yeah. It cuts no, your chances that. of colon cancer in half. Wow. How much did that cost you? It was like uh, I don't know, thirty-two bucks. Amazon oh, from yeah? China. Oh yeah, that online. Uh, Amazon Prime is here in two days from China. Did they get delivered by a drone or squatty potty drone? No, or but that would maybe. Did you see the drone commercial? No, I don't watch commercials. No, Amazon have it on. Uh, I watched it on YouTube. Amazon's drone delivering a package. Anything less than eight pounds will be deliverable by drone in thirty minutes or less. No, oh. you never seen that. No, fuck, it's pretty cool. I think it's. Uh, they said a year it'll be starting in the UK. Seems like a bit of a pipe dream. Yeah, the UK is the place to do it. It's so dense. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Mind you, every major city soon will have like a little. Well, that's how I think Prime works, right? Like, there's only certain things that are Prime eligible that you can get in two days, and I think because Amazon has a big fucking warehouse someplace here in Calgary that stocks, or someplace in Alberta. You know, it can't be very far away that. There's these things are set up all over the place that are just full of the things that sell. Just constantly refilling all these local warehouses? That sounds like a lot of work. How else can they get me a fucking squatty potty in two days? Because well, you just fed, it's everything's just overnighted, right? Like all the planes, all the cargo planes and shit just go from like yeah, FedEx, yeah. everything goes overnight. You can get a lot of fucking shit. Oh, and, and the shit's there in like two days. Yeah. For free. Mm. For free because you're right here. You just sucked right, <laughs> yeah, sucked I right in. <laughs> I guess it's, well, it's eighty bucks a year. That's wow! Bad. And I get and I I utilize it right. Like I buy yeah my fucking whatever cords, I can on Amazon. Cheap cords. I'm an eBay man myself. eBay over yeah. Amazon. Yeah. I don't. I don't know. I've had a couple of bad experiences on eBay. I have too, but I've had a lot more better ones. Amazon. I don't know. It just seems. For the most part, the things that I look at just too expensive. What 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 are your bad experiences on eBay? Mine well, or Darren's? Darren's. Like every fucking thing we buy. Remember those uh, <laughs> little silent air conditioners? Those ones? Those little door latches that look like they were fucking huge. <laughs> and they show up, they're like three inches long. Uh, you gotta read the description. Yeah, I guess. My, my it's fiance my fault. did that. Before she bought a, what she thought was a full size baby blanket. When it got here, it was like three inches by four inches long. <laughs> like, hey, you gotta read the description. And it takes a month to get that. What it is for me is I just find every, everything I look at on eBay when I price check it to Amazon or to buying it locally, it's costing me more on eBay, with the exception of when I'm buying things used because. When you add on the shipping, when it's Joe Blow in fucking Tennessee that's shipping you something, you know, there's no break. So he's just going down to the post office and paying his 25 bucks. Plus, then I get nailed with an import charge. 
on don't anything, you, but, but from the states, that varies from ten to twenty dollars. But when you're buying used stuff, don't you usually go through like the local Kijiji or whatever, or Craigslist. I use Kijiji for, quite like, a bit. for some reason, Vancouver uses Craigslist and Alberta uses Kijiji, which is really weird. Vancouver, still but you uses get all like free trades shit on there as well. Yeah, I use right? I like use Kijiji quite a bit. Like yeah, that. exactly. Hmm. Secondhand fucking economy, buddy. Yeah, I got my mic on Kijiji. Yeah, that's right. I like Kijiji. And I've uh, never heard of Kijiji. Yeah, you probably wouldn't have it in the States. It's basically just like it's Craigslist. Yeah. Except without hookers. Oh, what's the point? <laughs> um that was that was a joke. <laughs> <laughs> they took that out and pushed it on the back page. <laughs> what uh what else you got, buddy? Oh, that's it for me, man. That's it? Yep. Nothing else. Nope. Well, I'm saving some stuff. I got to line, line other stuff up. Are you going to, next time you come here, save, don't shit before you get here. I'm telling you, you got to try this. Thing. <laughs> the first, the first time I used it, I was like, what a difference. Well, I'll just buy it. I'll, I believe you. It like all just comes out at once. I've been thinking about, <sighs> about that. Uh, I didn't know there was something we could buy. And I don't to- get money from Squatty Potty. You might need, this isn't an ad, this, this isn't, isn't an ad, advertisement. No. You might need the nine inch one though, because you have <laughs> tiny legs. <laughs> That's what she said. You might need a nine inch one. You, you shouldn't have to explain that. <laughs> Squatty potty. Oh, that one's loud. Yeah, that's you might have to you might have to smooth that one out in post. <laughs> so um post, what's post? Yeah, what's post? <laughs> You're making a stamp. I'm gonna make a note of that right now in the notes. Um is there different sizes then? Do you have to know like how there's a seven inch are? and a nine inch. That's the it. seven inch is pretty squatty. <laughs> like if the, the nine inch must be for a higher toilet. If you have a higher toilet, I hate the high toilets. But you, you know when you go to those Starbucks and the toilet's so high, and then I don't shit in Starbucks. Off and <laughs> have you shit in a lot of Starbucks? <laughs> I should wear half to. Man. Like I don't. I'm not that picky. Aren't you? I've shit. I shit in a lot of porta potties. So I guess I can. Way worse. I don't know. No one, no, no one ever comes in to the porta potty and is talking on the phone. <laughs> I don't know. I'm very picky about my... I, I've got a couple downtown that are pretty good, like some quiet corners of the plus 15s. <laughs> quiet but clean. <laughs> and the George Costanza. They don't have public toilets inside the plus 15s. So no, there's good about? public toilets, but you got to watch their fucking slam. I'm, not, I'm over being surrounded by people in the bathroom while I'm doing my business. So you find a nice... You're in a stall? Oh, my God. I've shit shame, man. If you call Darren, Justin, <laughs> you won't answer the phone while he's on there. Will you answer the phone while you're shitting, Justin? No, I don't. I will not answer the phone, no. No, I don't. Depends. Well, yeah, I guess so, because I think I've talked to my fiance. I don't care. Sometimes it's an emergency. There's no secrets between it. us. Yeah, I'm not, like, I got the shit shame, man. So Where'd you get that from? I don't know. As a child? Probably. Did you have lots of uh, PTSD remember, from going I, to the bathroom as a child? You know what is <laughs> funny is because like... Your parents breaking into the bathroom and... My like earliest fucking memory I have 
from when I, that I when I really fucking think back is me having shit my pants and I'm like sitting on it on my chalkboard and I could feel the shit in my pants on your chalkboard. It was, yeah, it was like one of those sit down at the chalkboard desk type things. Uh, back in the eighties, that's like my earliest memory. Wow, that's probably why. having me having maybe shit just my pants. maybe just articulating this right now will get rid of that that shame slash fear. I don't know. Uh, I'll tell you what. Next time you're on the squatty potty, let me know and I'll give you a call. (laughs) I will tell you uh, unforeseen side effect of the squatty potty. Sore knees. No, well, you lose that. (laughs) You you lose lose that seal that your thighs create. Oh, why is that a more splatter? Why is that a more smell? Really? Yeah. yeah. Do you have to do the courtesy flush right away? No, I don't mind. My shit don't stick. Oh my god! <laughs> <laughs> okay, we've lost enough list- <laughs> listeners this yeah. episode. Let's move on. It's <laughs> a rough one. <laughs> Check out CrimeAmerica.ca <laughs> slash support for all the uh, different ways to help out the show financially. Uh, there's all sorts of different monthly subscriptions there from a buck a month up to 30 bucks a month. Uh, the most popular being the buck a show, five fifty five. Um, So sign up for that. Uh, we have t-shirts. I've, I'm out of extra large Grimericas. I'm sending the last one. But we do have some, some uh, take the shot. Yeah. And a bunch of other sizes of Grimerica, So Classic gray. What are we asking for? A donation of 25 or more? 25 or more in this side of the world and 30 or more in the other. Yeah. So you know where you stand. And remember, donations of 400, once you reach 432 bucks, uh, you can join us for an interview. Yeah, with a guest of your choice. Approved by Darren and Graham, of course. And me. Why not? Justin. And Justin. The editor, We're pretty edit, flexible, editor in chief of the newsletter. Yeah, that's right. Um, yeah, so do all that shit. Yeah, sign, sign up for the newsletter. The newsletter. Yeah, sign, for, sign your friends up. America sign your enemies slash up. News. Sign everyone up. Sign up your whole email list. It's anonymous. <laughs> they won't know why they're getting Grammarica, and emails. they can easily unsubscribe if they want. Exactly, and they do, and they do. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, let's do all those fun things. Review the show. Send your cash. Spam Graham and sign people up for the newsletter. That's your to-do list, folks. And all that's in the show notes as well. Yeah, just a couple clicks away. All you got to do is swipe left on whatever podcast player you're doing, click on the notes, go in there, click on the link, and you can do all that stuff. I think, right? should work. If they're using the same podcast player as you. No, but you know what I mean. Whatever whatever they're doing, podcast, they can see the notes in whatever podcast player they're doing, they're using. All right, Even folks, on iTube, the notes are there. You know what he means. iTube. <laughs> YouTube. <laughs> Enjoy the chat with Mike Cleland and RPJ. Together, some spooky tales, synchronicity, and owls. And we'll see you in the outro.
All right. So with us tonight, we have Mike Cleland of Hidden Experience, and we've got Red Pill Junkie with us as well. And, you know, usual guest here on the show. But I don't know if Mike, uh, Mike probably won't remember this, um, but Darren, I, his podcast is one of the first ones that I actually had shown Darren. And, I think it was like the second podcast I ever listened to. Yeah. Which after is, Mysterious wow. Universe. Which is, which is very interesting because then I went down to Phoenix. And this was after we had decided to start a podcast. I actually met you, Mike, at the UFO Congress in 2013. So 2013, took, what were you doing? Where, what, tell me how we met. Did yeah, we talk well, about this podcast? Yeah, or? a little bit. I was like, hey, I'm going to start a podcast, and I listen to yours, and uh, and I, you know, you should come on it. And then, like two, what, two and a half, almost three years later, you're uh, you're finally coming on the show. So yeah, I, I don't remember of, talking. What did we? Where were we? Uh, we're just in the lobby and stuff. Like I, w- I was there for okay. the whole conference. So we uh, we t- talked a few times or whatever. But yeah, it was, was just, that the year uh, I spoke? No. No, I don't well, that was the year so. before. Okay, because yeah, I spoke in 2014. Oh, yeah, yeah. Okay, there's a big yeah. deal event that took place just days after that. And then, of which course, is the yeah, culmination then, of the book. Yes, you were a volunteer, yes, yes. Weren't you? You were I, a volunteer. I was a volunteer that year. Yeah, and then, and then, yes, you had that big event actually, and I was following you quite a bit after that. But then, of course, we got busy with our podcast, and I kind of just always had you in the back of my mind to to have on. And then Red Pill Junkie mentioned. Um, your new book and I was like okay this is time it's time to get Mike on and talk about this because we talk about synchronicities all the time on our show and listeners write them in and of course in the back of my head I've always got your profound synchronicities and so yeah anyways um you know without further introduction really you've got your your podcast and your blogs and now a book and um it's just fascinating stuff to talk about so welcome to the show Thank you. Well, I would thank you so much, and I will point out that it has been uh, over a year since I've done a podcast, and and uh, that's and in that year I worked very hard on this book. So uh, it's not by accident that you know one I, whatever there was still output. Uh, it had it's in a paper form, I guess, as opposed to in a podcast form. Yeah, I noticed that. I was searching back through your podcast, and I thought, ah, he's been writing this book over the last year. Or so <laughs> yeah, yeah, it's a full time job. Yeah. So, so when did you when did you decide to put it in the book format, or or was that always in the back of your well, head? Well, you know, there was like when was it? Now, this is interesting. I should know all these things by heart, and they're all written down in the book. There was a there was a um, I think it was the summer of 2013 that I was I I. Is that right? It must have been 2013. Which, yeah, was, which, was, which was after, yeah, which was shortly after that experience that you had after the Congress. After the confirmation. Yeah. Well, let me, I might, let me, oh God, now I got, I'm, hold on. It's either 2000, it must be 2013. Yeah. Summer 2013, I put a, um, uh, a, uh, long format essay online called, and the title of that essay was, um, Owls and the UFO abductee, and that mm-hmm. that essay was the foundation for the the book that that you know. That, I mean, you read that essay; it's forty pages long, and you read the book, and it's nearly four hundred pages long. So, so there's this, you know, that's the, that's the um, the impetus and the foundation of the of the big book project. So, after I wrote that essay, I think it was like Nick Redfern was the very first person one of the very first people to comment on the essay once it went live. Wow. And, and the first thing he said was like, this has to be a full book. You got to do a full book. On this. Mm. And, um, and I realized if I didn't do it, he was going to do it. Yeah, so, exactly. um, <laughs> yeah, so it took, he would have done it in a week and it took me like whatever, three years. So, um, but, uh, yeah, so there was a, that, that was, a uh, that, that genesis of the book initially came from, the writing I did, well, the genesis of the book initially came from my own uh, 
experiences with owls. And then it came from that, you know, I had been kind of writing essays and those showed up on the blog. And some of those essays are, you know, two or three sentences long or a paragraph long or something. And some of them are quite in depth. But um, so I had this, this foundation or this, uh, you know, like I could pick and choose. And I had, I realized I had written a lot about it. And in that time also, I had, uh, I had been posting things online. So if you Googled UFOs and owls, <laughs> um, my name was the first thing that came wow. up. So uh-huh. suddenly, and I had been kind of putting out the call. If you look back, it says, hey, if anyone has any stories, I'd love to hear them. So if you're anywhere in the world, right? So you're in, you know, New Zealand or something like that, and you have a UFO and owl experience, all you need to do is, you know, and you're curious about it, you know, the internet era, and you just few mouse clicks away, you're going to find me if you have uh, an experience with UFOs and owls. And I'm not only am I the first thing comes up, I'm like the first seven things that come up. So um, uh, I consequently, I just started getting hit with so many stories. I mean, one after another, after another was to say I was getting them every day would be a little bit of an exaggeration, but nearly every day I was getting, let's say most days I was getting a new story and the stories were amazing and, and that sort of kind of repetitious or you know, repetitive in a way. Like, you know, I just kept on hearing the same story. If it wasn't the same exact account, it was, it was certainly the same tenor or the same flavor to the account. So um, when you read the book, most of the stories just arrived magically in my lap. Like I didn't have to go to some library and, you know, and, and uh, roll my sleeves up like some scene out of all the president's men. I just, you know, got up and drank my coffee in the morning, checked my email and these things just, just, uh, you know, flooded in. So I guess you credit that to probably the, the hidden experience blog and podcast, I suppose. Right. Well, I mean, that was where I kind of was, was posting a lot of stuff. Sure. Yeah. And I'm less so the podcast and more so the, um, I don't know, actually, you know, it's hard for me to know less. So I guess it's a blurring of both. And, and and I bet you people, just random people too. I have a feeling that there's something deeper than just previous listeners or, or followers of your content. Oh yeah. Yeah. Much of the yeah, people who never regardless. heard of me would just reach out to me because they had, you know, they would click on me and realize like I'm a guy doing research on UFOs and owls. Right. Right. The and content's then, still where you end up. Yeah. If the content wasn't there, then it doesn't come up on first thing. On exactly. Oh, exactly. Right. Yeah, 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 yeah. Also, the fact that uh, you kind of became um, one of the leaders of these uh, brotherhood of bloggers, you know, that kind of like even started the, their, their blog almost at the same uh, time, right? Well, I'm trying to think of some examples. There's a few folks that started their blog at the same time. There's a guy, Michael McDonald, who I haven't checked his blog lately. Um, uh, and he started his within 24 hours of mine. I can't, st- I can't remember who started who's first. I think I might've started mine the day before, but we both started ours within 24 hours and they're very similar in tone. And there's so many weird things. He's got a Scottish last name, mm-hmm. uh, McDonald. His first name is Mike. Uh, he's born in 1962. Uh, you know, he worked as a, you know, he was working on documentaries and things like that. So there's all these things right on down the line that are just kind of absurd as far as, the similarities between us. Mm-hmm. And that, that was, so yeah, there was a handful of folks that were, were starting blogs, but at the same time, I mean, if you're gonna start a blog, that was the, like right around 2009 would have been right when the tipping point was when it became very easy right, to start yeah, a blog. Yeah. yeah. Go back a few years more. You had to be a little bit, you know, whatever the internet was still kind of yeah, yeah. just emerging at that point. Yeah. 
Wow. I remember the internet before search engines, man. It was just <laughs> fucking useless. <laughs> Yeah. No, it wasn't. Not useless, but you know what I mean? It definitely wasn't a tool. It was more of a, at that time, it was a novelty. A platform or something. It was a novelty. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. You could play chess mm. on it. Yeah. yeah. yeah or, or you could go to a chat room, or you could, you know, you could do this or that. Maybe you could, if you were lucky, you could find a little forum where you could set something up that you could find someone to play Doom against via phone. Wait two minutes for the for the downloading of porn image. <laughs> so so was it shortly after this blog started in two thousand nine where you noticed you were on some sort of path or these synchronicities started to happen or when when did that take fruition? Well, I guess I had a, and throughout my life I have some funny stories, um, but they really started around two thousand six. Um. And I had a I had an amazing I think it was 2006. He had an amazing synchronicity with a bottle of Neutrogena sunblock um, that kind of blew my mm-hmm. mind. <laughs> and and uh, I, I don't know I could tell it here real quick, but um, it would have been the springtime, probably April of 2006. And I work I was I haven't done as much in the last few years, but for I was working. For, not quite full time, but doing outdoor work, you know, teaching in the mountains in Alaska and uh, teaching in the Rocky Mountains and winter uh, outdoor education and stuff like that. So I was out outside all the time, and uh, my face would get kind of red, and and it, and and uh, sunblocks, certain sunblocks and things like that would sting my face and actually irritate my face and make it worse. So I, so I was talking to folks and a couple people, and I was asking, "What should I get?" And I, it just came up, people were saying, "You should get Neutrogena 45." You should get Neutrogena. And I heard that from a few people. Like okay, well, I'll trust that. So I went to the local grocery store in my town, and they didn't have it. And I went to the local health food store. Actually, I went to the local health food store to see if they had it in the locally owned drug store. And as I was driving by the large grocery store, right, I was shopping at these tiny little independently owned places, and I and there's a bigger grocery store that I kind of hated going into. Yeah. And uh, so I was going to turn in, and I didn't quite turn in. So it's about three miles from the grocery store to my house, and as I'm driving home, there's a what are they like the community trash pickup do it once a year. So everyone goes out and it's in springtime after the snow melts and you pick up the trash on the side of the road and people do that and they volunteer to do it and you just leave the bags on the side of the road. So I could see the bags were lined up and I'm like, Oh, I could do that for, I could, you know, I'll do a nice little community thing. So I, as soon as I got home, I, I, uh, I, uh, you know, reached and grabbed a handful of trash bags and just started walking from my house, which is along the main highway. Uh, and I was going to, so I started walking. I kind of said, oh, there's a stop sign up there. It's a half a mile away, right? So I could walk to the stop sign, cross the highway, and then walk back to my house on the other side of the highway, and I'll do a mile of highway, you know, or half mile. You know, I'll walk a full mile, do a half mile on each side. And uh, and then the stop sign is out there. It's like out in rural Idaho. There's no trees or anything like that you can see for miles. So I'm walking, and as I'm walking, the weather starts to deteriorate. It starts to rain on me, and and then I get soaked, and I'm like, oh, I should turn around. I should just go back. No, no, I'm going to stay. Keep going. Do the whole thing. <laughs> and then it comes as this ugly, sleety snow started falling. It was cold and wet, and, and this stuff was gross, right? You know, the stuff that's been under the snow all winter long, and you're picking the stuff up. And uh, so I'm like, oh, gosh, just turn around. I'm like, nope, I'm going to go all the way to the stop sign. So I go all the way there. I get to the stop sign, and and there, like literally leaning against the stop sign, had just melted out <laughs> from the snow, was a bottle of Neutrogena 45. <laughs> 
So this is like, as I've just went through, I was just like, my first thought was like, oh my God. You know, the first thought I had was, which I, which I have a hard time justifying or understanding even in the moment. My first thought was, it's them. Mm. So I said to myself, um, and, uh, you know, there's all this, you know, was that a stop sign? What does that mean? Stop. What am I, how am I supposed to interpret that? And it's like, I was 44 years old. I was going to turn 45 that summer. Mm. And this, you know, it's Neutrogena 45. 45s. What does that mean? Wow. How do I read that? And so I was like, at that point, I started getting kind of, you know, the synchronicities were kind of, that was the, 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 the uh, initial one. And from that point on, uh, well, more near the end of 2006, it started to get out of hand. And that continued all the way through around 2010. They've, they've really eased off. Or maybe I don't even notice them anymore. I mean, yeah, I don't yeah, know what yeah. it is. Yeah. Mm. So you, I just take them a little more. They, but they freaked me out at the beginning. I was so freaked out about that. Well, that's a great one to start, though. We then. should save a bunch of them for the end. And we'll do a little, a little segment at the end. I'll play the jingle. <laughs> And then but I, is there a Neutrogena 45 jingle? What? No, no it's because I have a bunch, guys, a bunch of synchronicity jingles. So. Yeah, this, uh, Darren likes to rate synchronicity. Oh, how does that rate? Um, uh, that one there would probably be uh, Neutrogena. That's got to uh, be like way up there. Like probably, that'd be eight, somewhere in the eight. Range. Okay. <laughs> Yeah. Uh, does it help yeah. that there was an owl on the screensaver while he was telling the story? That helped. Darren? Yeah, that like, brought I, it up from a seven to an eight. <laughs> really, I don't have a screen. My my, my screen's blank. So I, no, I looked over. I have a book on owls in my the, lap, though. I gotta say, it's we have a TV in the studio with a um, one of those, what are those dongles called? Chromecast. Yeah, the Chromecast plugged into it so that we can broadcast it to it if we want. But if we don't, it just goes into screensaver mode, which is kind of it just cycles through a couple hundred pictures and puts them on the screen for 15 seconds. And one of them so was right an now owl. there was, was a an owl. There was an owl, yeah. yeah beautiful. I said, ah. I said it's them, right? <laughs> right around yeah. then, yeah. 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 Oh, I love it. <laughs> so yeah, we should definitely. Darren, Darren's gonna have his mind blown when you when you talk about a couple of your other ones that I've that I've heard that were just it's just too too hard to even comprehend. Uh, we I should know, let me so know. I've been called a harsh critic. I don't get critic. synchronicities now. If I like, if I go through dry spells without them, I'm like. Feel sad. I'm like, oh, I'm not really good. like, I miss my, you know, <laughs> miss I the not, weirdness. Am I not on my path anymore? Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Yeah. And yet, that that uh, well, the problem with that is, I think that the same thing happened with people who probably had some kind of contact with with that other uh. intelligence or that other, I don't know, reality, and then maybe in a in a attempt to try to like restart the, the, the mystery or the magic they started they started to to fake the, 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 their contact stories and they're starting to hoax photographs and all that you know so I, I guess there's um, what I'm, I think what I'm trying to say is there's a problem with uh, uh, getting too preoccupied with 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 losing that connection you know what I mean yeah and there's folks that are out there that I think are you know hoaxers. Like for mm-hmm. instance, Billy Myers, I consider him a hoaxer. I, I, you know, I, but I, at the same time, mm-hmm. I have to th- sense that perhaps he's, he did exactly that. He had some powerful contact experiences and then yearned for the attention or something and just mm-hmm. started making them up. You know, and, and I don't know what that's true or not, but I, but, um, but I do feel strongly that the guy has, has blatantly hoaxed things. Oh, yeah. I mean, 
certain of that, you know, that I think that 90%, 95% of, of all his stories or all, all his photographs are fake. But, you know, there's, I guess I still leave room for that 5%, you know, that, uh, that may have been genuine. No, and, and for example, the fact that he chose the name uh, Semyase for this Pleiadian babe he, he got in contact with, and the fact that Semyase is mentioned in the Book of Enoch as, as the leader of the, of the Watchers, you know, the, 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 these fallen angels that came to, to Earth uh, because they thought that the, the, women, the daughters of men were kind of hot, you know, so they broke they broke their vows. They were a spell from heaven, and Semyasi is the one who taught men uh, uh, magic. You know, so I don't know the fact that he chose that uh, for some reason. It's uh, uh, for me, it's it's kind of interesting. Yeah, in a, in a, in a, in, a uh, in an intentional way or in a conspiratorial maybe way? I don't know. Maybe yeah. a subconscious way. Who knows? Yeah. Right. Hmm. Yeah, I mean, that's when you get right down to it, all these things blur together. It's very, very hard to come up with a, you know, a, a direct answer to some of the questions that come up. I mean, you come up with 10 speculative things that, um, I, yeah, so. And it's, it's also more, for me, it's more fun in a way when the stuff emerges out of the ether rather than emerging out of some sort of pragmatic decision. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, take, for instance, um, the name of the Venusian guy who got in contact with uh Oh, what's the name of this guy? Uh, the guy from, like from Venus? The guy Adamski. Adamski, yeah, George Adamski. So the name of oh, what's the... What's her name? Captain. Her, she was a captain something or other. She had a, Orthon was the name, yeah. I think, right? And yeah. Orthon, it turns out that uh, has some kind of special meaning in the Gaelic language. Hmm. You know? and, and, and then there was this researcher who found out or, or made a case that the star language that was... Uh, often reported by, by contactees or uh, alien abductees, had some uh, striking similarities with Gaelic. Wow. Yep. Very interesting. Adamski seems to me like he's in the same category as Meyer. Like there's almost like yeah, a, definitely. Like, there could be a syndrome of uh, you know real experience to faking it, uh, the Meyer Adamski syndrome or something. Yeah, that would be as that be a, I mean, that's the perfect name for it, the Meyer Adamski syndrome. Yeah. <laughs> Was it Meyer Briggs? Is the, that's a test they yeah. give you? Maz, you could call it Maz. Yeah, I like it. You heard it here first. <laughs> put Jim Sparks in there too. Yeah. Speaking of which, uh, uh, did you manage to find some kind of um, owl connection in the early accounts of the early contactees? You know, the guys who reported all these. Uh, interaction with the space brothers back in the 50s and 60s you know i couldn't find any owl connections there might be but i simply that's actually the old contactee stories isn't something that um had that much you know that i was that interested in aaron gullius Mm -hmm. certainly knew i was doing this research and he would have pointed it out if he had caught something um uh you know the very first account that i trace it all back to isn't that long ago it's about 27 years ago for a communion Mm -hmm. and um that was the very first account where owls had been teamed up side by side with the UFO abduction uh, experience in in a very public forum. I mean, I mean that was a very very popular book. Um, I'm mm-hmm. certain that it's out there somewhere in some file or some paragraph in something that um, uh, you know. But I asked around, you know, like I asked um, uh, 
Brad Steiger and things like that, people who would know, yeah. you know, and, and, and a couple of people pointed out that Bud Hopkins, oh, was in Missing Time, and it's not. He certainly talks about deer being uh, a screen memory in Missing Time, but he does not, use it, he does not mention owls at all in, in, in Missing Time. So. It's, it's interesting, Brad, that you brought that up because it almost fits with, I might be totally off, off base here, but fits with where, you know, all the contactee stories from a little further back than that, like 40, 50, 60 years ago, there was all kinds of... Mm-hmm. Um, other beings being seen, which kind of sort of, you know, seems to be that they mellowed out a little bit. It's almost like yeah. they, they started there was more variety. It's almost like they decided to yeah, hide robots themselves and, and yeah. take the form mm-hmm. of an owl instead of showing themselves. And it, you know, it kind of reminds me also of uh, well, Mothman. You know, even even these uh, skeptic guy, uh, has the name of this uh, Nichols. You know, he came up with this theory that uh, what the uh, witnesses were seeing was this, you know, gigantic owl. And then, funnily enough, uh, people in the pro-UFO camp dismissed that idea uh, in the sense that, yeah, there's no way that there could be an owl that big. <laughs> you know, and, and that reminds me of, of, of these uh, cases that you uh, reported in the messengers, Mike, of uh, people seeing these ginormous, impossibly ginormous owls you know like uh, like four foot tall yeah four foot tall which is impossible yeah so mm-hmm. you know it's interesting because I, I even in the even in the like trying to figure out the size of the biggest owl in the world is difficult yeah i was just gonna um, ask the, you that yeah i mean it will you do some wikipedia searching and stuff like that and it's like tip to tail but that's not really when that's in flight right it's from their nose to the tip of their tail 33 inches is the, the tallest owl Mm-hmm. Uh, which is a great gray owl. That's that's just like straight kind of you know Wikipedia uh, stuff, you know. And that would be that's under three foot. Just and under, yes. and I would have to say it would be extremely rare for a great gray owl to get to be that tall. And then there's only a couple other owls in the world that could even approach that. Um, uh, and those are all smaller. So uh, you're talking about a one breed of owl that gets very big. Um, and it's only in certain places, right? It's only in northern latitudes. It's only in northern, north, uh, you know, so it's a, basically Canada and parts of America and across Finland to Russia to Mongolia is the only place you're going to see a, a, an owl that big. So, you know, what that doesn't account for all these other reports. So um, the four-foot-tall owl is, is uh, it's just so ubiquitous, and I, and I, I did the screen memory chapter early in the book because I kind of wanted to just move on past that. Kind of mm-hmm. once you heard that, once you've heard the person say like, oh, I saw a four foot tall owl on the road. And then I was like, suddenly I came home and it was two hours late. I didn't know what happened. And you hear that story, you know, 50 times and you kind of, kind of, you realize, okay, that's its own, that's its own experience. And, and I was much more interested in the, in the, the people who were seeing real owls at the point of, of their, you know, high contact or at highly charged moments. Oh. So. Where do you where do you suppose the intelligence level fits in? Because I mean, obviously, owls are some of the smartest birds. Well, actually, it's interesting because they're not that smart. The other ravens and parrots and things like that are much much smarter than owls. Yes. Owls are kind of I don't want to say dumb. That's kind of seems simple, but but they're you know they're they're they can they're be trained, very, can't they? No. Well, they can be trained to do very simple things. Uh, you know, in, in Scotland, they have a little tradition where they train an owl to, to fly with a ring in a wedding ceremony. So someone stands in the back of the church with a trained owl. And then when the 
the um, you know the minister asks for the ring, you know, mm. then they fly the owl down the length of the of the church. But um, so yeah, so but owls are a little bit simplistic compared to to the you know the smartness of a of other birds. I think but the ravens are, is taken. Are, like, I think ra- I think crows and ravens are taken by the. The dark one? <laughs> no, by like no, by like uh, Native American ancestors, stuff like that. So they could. As I don't think aliens could be crows. I wonder. I don't think I'm that's an option. Some, some thing. Yeah, I don't know whether they can be or not. Uh, um, what what is? So here's what what owls do have, hands down, over other birds, is the ability to see in the dark and the mm-hmm. ability to hear. So both of those things are. Are, um, and the ability to fly silently. So there's this, oh. there, there, there's these amazing creatures that can fly very silently, much quieter than falcons or hawks or any other bird. Um, some birds are really loud. Pigeons are really, really loud flyers. Um, but uh, an owl. So, so this is something I speculate in the book a little bit too. So, if the the UFO occupants, right? If the aliens were going to co-opt one animal on Earth to be their little, um, you know, uh, organic drone, right? So if you wanted to co-opt, I'm sure, like this is in the basement of the CIA, they've tried to figure out how to do this probably. Um, (laughs) And then, you know, if you wanted to see through an animal's eyes, the best eyes on Earth would be an owl, right? They've got uh, they've got steady cam equipment basically built in because they fly super smooth. They've stealth technology built in because they fly silently. They've got uh, infrared night cam vision built right in because they can see in the dark. So if a UFO occupant wanted to spy on someone but didn't want to park their UFO, couldn't they just use their psychic means to invade the the uh, consciousness of the owl? You know, I'm just sort of picturing a little alien with their view screen, a little joystick, you know, sort of controlling the owl, like watching through their eyes. And, well, let's park it next to, you know, Whitley Strieber's, you know, uh, bedroom window here, you know, that kind of thing. (laughs) Um, Yeah, this is all pure speculation. But, you know, I talk about it a little bit in the book, and the the owls are, if nothing else, if if you just dismiss all the mythology, if you dismiss all the paranormal stuff, owls are pretty cool animals as far as their ability to do things like see in the dark and 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 fly silently, and they're amazing hearing too. You guys remember that movie Birdie? I never saw that. It's pretty good, you know. One of Nicolas Cage's best early movies. So this is it's about a a guy, you know. I think these two kids. I think they're from the Bronx or something like that. And then uh, before uh, Vietnam War, and this guy is obsessed with beer, birds, right? So he has like canaries in, in his bedroom and all that, and gets point the, to the point that, uh, well, kind of a spoiler alert here, gets to the point in which he kind of has like this shamanic, uh, visionary state in which he can, you know, like uh, see with the eyes of the uh, of his little bird you know and the, so the bird goes flying and she and he is like you know perceiving the world as uh, uh, the same way as uh, as the bird so i don't know it's uh, what you were telling telling earlier about the intelligence behind the ufo phenomenon somehow like taking hold of the consciousness of the owl kind of reminded me of that scene. Yeah, and maybe the simplistic simpli- simplicity in the consciousness of the owl, too, compared to those other raptors and stuff, maybe that makes it easier yeah. for them. To control yeah, them? Yeah, it's an interesting idea. If you idea. try to do it to a raven or something like that, they want to play a joke on you, or they... <laughs> yeah. 
yeah. stand up for their own independence. Yeah, or yeah. Yeah. They'd rebel. And the owl would just exactly. stand by, look cute, and, and observe. The apple and, is, uh, in, yeah. the, in the book, I have an account of a woman. Her name is Heather Chikowski. Heather Kluwitschikowski. She's a, she's a crop circle researcher and a shaman. Um, and uh, she, conf- she was fight. Uh, there's this long story. The, the, the story in its entirety isn't in the book. I did post it on my blog a while ago, but the, she was chasing this white owl at night with her husband and it was in crop circle country and it was, there was all these things led up to it and all these things happened after it. But she was, there was, they were driving at night and there's a white owl. Let's, let's follow it. And then they would, the owl would fly in front of them and then the owl would stop at a post and they got out of the car when the owl was standing on a post in the dark and they walked up to this owl and the owl flew off. And suddenly she was confronted with this vision of like the ground kind of coming closer and going farther away and coming closer and kind of zipping underneath her and it kind of freaked her out. But what she realized she was seeing, she felt she was seeing through the eyes of the owl as the owl was flying over the rolling, undulating farmland of crop circle country. Um, so this is an anecdotal version. I, there's no way to prove this, obviously, but there's a woman um, who claims to have had exactly that experience, channeled the yeah. visual experience of, of an owl. Wow. That's interesting. Um, did you worry about that at all as far as like, we talk about this on the show a lot, about anecdotal ev- evidence compared to, um, you know, hard evidence and stuff like that. Obviously, you don't seem to to care about that part of it, right? You just want to Well, wanna, well you I care tell in the sense that there's some, you know, like I will say, you know, like, you know, uh, Heather told me this story and here's yeah. the story. Yeah. And then I, you know, she wrote about it. And so I would include the quote and stuff that, so, so yeah, I have no idea. I have no problem. If someone tells me an account, uh, you know, just saying, this is what a person shared with me. Yeah. Um, I mean, there's almost nothing I say in the book that I know. I yeah. like this. Yeah. It's all, yeah. I mean, that's like, and in, in a weird way, I keep on, I almost wanted to like, you know, it's like having a, a group of scientists, like all get together and, and sort of, you know, Oh, you know, crunch it through the mainframe, you know, like did Neil Young, how could Neil Young have a heart of gold? It doesn't work, right? To have a heart of gold, he would have to, you know, the heart would no longer function. So he's talking about it. He's saying he had a heart of gold, but it just doesn't work. So, you know, they would have, you know, so that, I mean, uh, you know, that, it was actually, um, somebody asked me at one, you know, kind of called me on it a little bit and said, listen, your work isn't scientific. My response was, what do I care? I'm not a scientist. And, um, and I really believe that. I'm like, you know, this is like, these are, this is like a folklorist. Like I'm playing the role of folklorist rather than the role of yeah, scientist. Yeah. And, well, social scientist in any case, right? Sure, but I'm not doing any kind of, I don't have a spreadsheet of comparing and contrasting these things. I'm yeah, just kind of yeah. going off my own gut, my own yeah. vibes and my own, you know, I mean, I, I like to be, clear in my research and there's yeah. a few stories that were a little too far out and i didn't include them mm-hmm, mm-hmm. um and, well i mean not a little too far out my gut sort of told me you know it's interesting those one story is i'll say right here there's a guy ken bakerman and and it was on the the and i and i it's not it was this story was uh it was a great story but it i think it was and i and i sensed that he had the real experience but I sensed that his written essay about it, which was what I was using, he wrote this beautiful essay about uh, all these 
synchronistic experiences and driving to the spot. And then there was a, he, he was driving in a, in a great horned owl landed on the, you know, how a VW bus has the spare tire right in front of the driver. Right? Yeah. So that he yeah. comes to a stop and the owl lands on the, on the spare tire and looks at him right in the eye and he gets kind of freaked out. And then the next thing he knows, the owl flies off and there's like little, like a bunny rabbit runs across the road and then a whole bunch of bunny rabbits follow it. And then mm-hmm. a duck runs across the road and a whole bunch of ducks follow it. And then the storks and skunks and things were running across the road and he was just uh-huh. baffled. He's like, what am I witnessing? You know? And it went on and on and on. And then there was some sort of missing time associated with it. It was written beautifully. He's a really funny writer and stuff like that. And, and it seemed like more of a, something that happened in the seventies and he was writing it quite recently. So like 25 years for the story to morph. I suspect he was writing it to match his memory. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm going to include this, a long story and it just wouldn't have fit in the book, but I'm going to include this in, a, in another follow-up book. Um, but it just was like, I, I just didn't have the time to, to really research that one in any kind of meaningful way. So it just felt better to like, okay, put this on the back burner and come back to it. But um you know, that story sounded like some sort of screen memory aspect. This is someone who's had a lot of, if he's to be believed, and, you know, and I'm very open-minded to listening to folks' experiences, if he's to be believed, you know, these these experiences are, you know, I mean, uh, I, I'm pretty open-minded at this point about, like, you know, even if someone tells me a really weird story, I keep, you know, I'm like, I kind of trust it more the weirder it is mm-hmm. because, you know, who would make up something that strange? So... So, um, yeah, so as far as anecdotal evidence, absolutely. You know, all you can do is, is see the patterns. And there's, there's a, most of the stories in the book are, are part of a larger pattern. You know, like all I have to do is tell one or two stories as opposed to eight or nine. Yeah. Right? I've collected all these other stories, and there's no reason to tell. Once you tell the story in one format one way, you don't have to retell it over and over again. Um, so I'm certainly sensing that you know, there's a pattern yeah. and a, uh, you know, like a, but I, I'll, what I'll include is the, you know, what I consider the most, not necessarily the best story, but the story that would fit best in the book. Yeah. I appreciate that take because we talk on the show a lot about evidence and UFOs and ETs and all this stuff. And a lot of the other podcasts I listen to and a lot of the people we're, we're friends with, like it's very evidence driven. And <clears throat> part of me, just feels like at some point there's so much anecdotal evidence that can't be ignored that it's just like I, I sort of don't give a shit about the evidence anymore. I just want to look at, you know, possibilities and the answer is less important than the actual acceptance of the mystery to me. So I, I, I feel like that's sort of like where you're sitting as well. Sure that there's a, um, like I don't need to be convinced anymore. Yeah, you know, yeah. people are saying like, "Oh, we're hanging out with you. We're going to see an owl, right?" And I'm like, "God, oh, owls don't need to show up to me anymore. Like, I don't know. They don't need to prove anything to me at this point." So, uh, uh, it, but there's like, like I feel like I'm convinced that there's powerful, there's a powerful mysterious force at play. The source of that force, the you know what its what its intentions are, what its agenda is, you know what it means. I have no idea. Those yeah. questions are all completely open-ended. Yeah, yeah. But what do you see as the ultimate uh, purpose for, for these, uh, uh, these patterns that you were finding and these uh, uh, manifestations and, the, and all these owl sightings? 
I, I mean, I do come up, there's a conclusion in the book where I sort of talk, you know, like a, kind of around that. You know, when I was mm-hmm. working, Rich, Richard Dolan, who's, who's pretty evidence-driven, you know, he was, <laughs> he, was, he, was, he was reading the book and he was like, wow, I really like this book. And, and uh, yeah, like, but I'm, I'm like, I'm halfway through it. And it, wait, when's the part where, I, where, you, where you like sum it up and you, you give me your like, you know, conclusion about what it means. And I have this <laughs> long blank silence on the phone as I like, <laughs> like, well, that doesn't really happen. You know, like at the end, I kind of, so, so if I do say anything, okay, there's a couple things that fit very well. The way I phrase it is like, there's a couple things that seem to, for me, fit really well one of them is alarm clock like mm-hmm. the owl as an alarm clock you know and the alarm clock is something that says wake up right mm-hmm. and um there's a little quote in the book that uh that i say something like um uh you know like if someone's asleep you know sometimes you have to nudge them and if they're really asleep you really have to shake them mm-hmm. and if they're really asleep you send in the owls uh-huh. and that's so that but so alarm clock is one thought and then and then archetype is another one that fits really cleanly, right? Mm-hmm. So all of a sudden, when, once you see owls as an archetype, and like archetype is one of those things that like philosophy students at the, you know, like at some graduate level of, you know, an Ivy League college could argue about, you know, for weeks and never come up with a conclusive answer. Like, you know, how do you define an archetype? So that's as just as slippery, right? So you just pick something that's like a loose or ethereal, like the word archetype. Right? Mm-hmm. So, so then it's like, oh, an archetype fits. So I don't know, that that's kind of a, cheating on my part but you know the archetype would be that the owl there's something imbued in our in our subconscious that knows what the owl is and knows the power of the owl and and knows it at like a almost like a molecular level like it's you know like our ancestors had the same owl experiences and this just got formatted into into the collective cloud uh, that we're all tapped into so seeing an owl has the same archetypal power present day seeing an owl at night in the woods present day has the same archetypal power of seeing an owl in the woods for ancient man huh. interesting because what what i feel you what you're getting at with all this is that the owls then if they if they're if they are an archetype they are the archetype of transformation right you know they are here to 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 signal a deep profound transformation either for for the individual who, who who happens to witness it and maybe you know hopefully to to like a trans uh, signal in a transform the ufo phenomenon signal a transformation of uh, the whole of humankind you know yeah like uh, that's one of the things that i think that uh, the, the ufo community should stop to, uh, start to consider how i mean i mean there are still people who are waiting for the goddamn UFO to land on the, on, on the White House lawn, you know, and, 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 you know, meet with the president and yada, yada, yada. And I'm sure that you're not waiting, you know, for, for a, like a flock of owls to, to land, you know, on, on, on the White House lawn. That is not, that, that doesn't seem to be the purpose. What seems to be the purpose is that uh, there is a whole lot of people who's, uh, you, you yourself, whose lives have been transformed by by the uh, being touched by, by by the power of this mystery, and what's in, well, interesting, what's interesting to to consider is what will happen uh, uh, with this transformation. You know, what will be, what is the purpose behind this transformation? At whether this transformation will be required 
for us human beings to you know take take the next step in our uh, i don't know personal spiritual physical evolution yeah you know i don't talk about too much in like sort of a like a humanities next step in the book i kind of yeah. hint at it and just mm-hmm. but i'm definitely say that at, at the individual level that, yeah. that the owl is a you know wake up is a is a you know synonym for you know transform trans transformational awareness right so mm-hmm. you know uh and then um it's funny i just read this i've got this book right now someone turned me on to it the woman's name is denise lynn and she's uh i think she's she's done a she's a, lives in california but she's done all kinds of shamanic work and and things but she had an uh, experience with an owl in kind of a native american setting and and that and she said pretty much just what you said that you know the owl is the totem of the transformational experience and i i say that in the book a few times though she said it very clearly in a book i just read at the kitchen table this morning Mm -hmm. um but the owl the other archetypal image of the owl would be that the owl can see into the darkness right so even ancient man like recognized that the owl had the ability to see into the darkness Mm -hmm. and fly in the darkness now that's very quickly all around the world in almost all the world's mythic traditions. The owl has the ability to fly off into the darkness, a metaphor for into other realms. So yeah. it can travel to other realms, to the land of the dead, to the land of the ancestors, mm-hmm. to, to the, the unknown. land of... Pardon? And they can see during the day the unknown, too, right? Yeah. The unknown, exactly. They can tra- and yeah. then they come back, right? So they can go into the unknown and make that they, they come back and they deliver a message. I And, I, and I'm struck by it and in in uh, how many times people said, you know, like, oh, the owl was here delivering her message. He was delivering a message. That's yeah. how the, 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 I mean, it's interesting. Someone else said, oh, you should call the book The Messengers. And I say, hey, that's good. And it was only after that that I realized that it was showing up over and over again that the owl was delivering a message. And people said that in direct quotes. And, um, and then, you know, in modern day mythology, mm-hmm. you know, pop culture mythology, uh, Harry Potter has an owl that delivers the mail. I mean, there it is, as clear as it can be, the owl as messenger. Um, and then I'll also point out uh, that J.K. Rowling has owl right in her name. I don't, I don't think that means anything, but it is something that I do notice, those kind of things at this point. So, Yeah, and messenger is, you know, literally the, the definition of uh, what an angel is. You know, it's um, uh, a being or something that delivers a message from from, from on high, from 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 the divine, you know, from the sacred. So, the, so in a way, that's my conclusion. That's like it, it like mm-hmm. it's either a, it's either a, a, an alarm clock, an archetype, or you know, a, a, a messenger or a signal for transformational experience. Mm-hmm. I was going to say, what about the purpose of it just being like reconnaissance, really? But I think that you've you've sort of said that, or it looks like there's a bit of a deeper explanation than just. Some sort of vehicle for observance. Well, you know, I mean, the, 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 I talk about that in the in early on in the book, and then just move past that. You know, yeah. that is a really fun way to speculate. You know, like, wow, if you really wanted to, like, have a, you know, a recon animal, you know, an organic drone, the owl would be the perfect one, right? They because it wouldn't, you know, it wouldn't, um, you know, if someone saw an owl in a tree outside someone's house, it's, you know, it's interesting, and you would note it, and things like that, but it's not too unusual. And then you got your Sasquatch when you need to do some heavy lifting. <laughs> yeah. 
but they people would notice that if someone Sasquatch was peeking in their window, that would have a little more of a. I mean, I've heard so many stories. I'm like, yeah, you know, I was growing up and there was this owl that would always look in my window, you know, and um, and if they had a Sasquatch looking in the window, they I think they'd have a much much more. They'd freak out a little more than if it was just an owl. Yeah. Were there in, uh, any stories about people seeing owls and then, you know, seeing a, some hairy hominid like Sasquatch? You know, it's interesting because I, I never f pursued this. I, couple, I had a couple mm -hmm. hints where some Sasquatch or, you know, Bigfoot researchers, you know, like I contacted and said, hey, do you have any owl experiences? And a couple of people were very shy about being quoted in a book about UFOs. So they kind of clammed yeah. up. Um, and, and, but they got, you know, but my sense is that you know, when you're doing, Bigfoot research, you're also going to have owls show up. You're in the woods, you're in a place where owls are going to, sh you are going to show up if you're doing that kind of on-the-ground research. But, um, you know, I, there was a, uh, you know, one account that I, this is the only account that I really have, though I've been told that there's more. I haven't found any more. No one's shared any more with me, but they're all like, oh yeah, they're out there. Those stories are out there. But I, whatever, felt like my, my plate was full. Mm -hmm. um, and, uh, but there was one account of like, uh, they sighting of a, Bigfoot or a Sasquatch, and they went to a spot and they found this huge, giant feces on the ground. And the Sas and the Bigfoot researchers were all like excited about it, so they like you know <laughs> took photographs of it, measured it, and then put it in a plastic bag and took it home and everything. And as they were doing it, there was an owl on the branch watching them the whole time. So, um, oh, interesting. interesting. Which is very rare that an owl will hang out and watch people for a long time. Hmm. <clears throat> How's the book gone over so far? Are you? Are you uh getting some pretty good feedback on it or i'm getting great feedback on it there's some typos in it and people are pretty quick to point those out and i'm making a nice list of those so oh, I could, uh, it is print on demand so you can clean that up at some point so there's a little there you know but no but beyond that that was like my own little insecurity showing up there um uh people seem to be really happy with it um it's been selling i mean there's no I mean, there's no such thing as a best-selling ufo book unless you're you know whitley streeper's first book or ufo book Um, so it's, it's been selling very well, given that it's kind of a niche market and it's, um, you know, people seem to, people seem to like it. And actually, you know, what's happening is I'm getting tons, all of a sudden there's this new resurgence of, of stuff showing up in my email inbox of people with weird owl stories. Right, right. Oh, so it paves the way for a sequel, sort of. I, I, one, one book's enough. Yeah. <laughs> so, <laughs> I am, I am working on a book. Uh, follow a book. Uh, it's going to be just called Stories from the Messengers, and and I'm just I, I collected the well. There's this most of the stories were collected before the book was even finished, and I realized like yeah, yeah, the book's going to be 600 pages long if I try to include this in the book. And so, um, uh, you know, there's going to be a follow up shorter book. It won't be as thick as the one that's that I'm holding in my hand right now, um, but uh, it should read like a collection of short stories. And I'll try to keep my own editorializing to a minimum. And uh, just let the stories, you know, speak for themselves. Because hmm. there's some long, complicated stories that it just doesn't do. It just like that one I was talking about that Ken Bakerman talked about with the, you know, the owl landing on the on the wheel of the VW, the spare tire of the VW. You know, that one you can't just like sum that up in a paragraph. Um, and it hurt. It was. It really was hard for me to take some of the really powerful, beautiful stories and trim them down, trim them down, trim them down until mm -hmm. you know to just a few sentences, which I did a lot in this book, and I hated doing that. Yeah. So, any plans so on doing audio or audiobook? 
Uh, I want to do an audio book. Do you know who Ryan Sprague is? Have you ever interviewed yeah. him? Yeah, 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 yeah. Yeah, Ryan Sprague is an actor and and um, playwright, and and is also doing you know uh, authoring some UFO type stuff. Um, but he, um, I want him to read it. He's got a nice because because there's most of the UFO books that are out there. You know, they have. These Why don't you read, read it, it, Mike? I mean, I you know it's funny. I can't read. I, for, for, I, I have. A, I feel like I could. I, I cannot read from the printed page. If you asked me to read a paragraph here, I would make so many mistakes. Oh, like Graham. Like, it's hard for me to read one sentence aloud. I make it up. I, I throw in words that aren't there. I change <laughs> the context around. I just, I can't. I, so it would be really hard. I, so I've been thinking about if I did it, I could do the, the introduction and the conclusion. Yeah, I think you want pages. to go with someone with like a deep and kind of, a deep and kind of fluctuating voice to give it that sort of spookiness. Cause it's, I mean, the, the yep. stories have a bit of spookiness to them, right? I mean, there's no denying it. I mean, maybe to us who are kind of in the trenches, we don't notice it, but to the average person, when they start reading these kind of stories that, you know, the hairs on the back of their neck stand up a little bit. Well, it's funny. Cause I think that, that, that I almost feel just the exact opposite. I'm so tired of yeah. these stories like playing out as like, you know, there's what's uh, there's someone did a great job reading, um, uh, a book called Aliens in the Backyard by um, mm. Robin Trish McGregor was a very good book. Um, and they, they said, I listened to that on audio and this guy had a great booming voice and he was very <laughs> much a, and it was in it. And this book in a way, I was like, you know, I want this book to be, if it's read aloud, it, it for me, it's interesting you say that because I don't see it as being spooky. I mm. see it as being like, you know, the, the, th- like a like a meditation book or something like that, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Like the, some of the guy who would read the, you know, the the meditation instructional for our, you know, our. And so, and I think Ryan has a very soft, soothing, uh, calm, kind of introspective voice, and that and that's that's kind of what I want to project in this book because it doesn't really play out as a. I mean, it's interesting you say that because it's funny. I'm so immersed in this stuff, I don't see it as being spooky anymore. Mm. Spooky I don't see action at a distance. <laughs> I don't see it as spooky. I mean, in, in some you're ways, you're in the trenches kind of, too, though. Like well, you're no, reading, I, a, I, you're I, reading uh, stories like this every day. No, not necessarily. But I, I feel it. Well, okay, for people in the trenches, then it's not spooky. It's almost reassuring. You exactly. Know, it's a gospel. Is, nah. Well, that there is this like energy on this way in which the universe kind of syncs together with your life and and gives you all these nudges that, uh, yeah, you're going in the right direction. I think that that's what synchronicities mean to me and, and, and to many people, you know, like Randall, yeah, you're going in the right way, man. I mean, that go ahead uh, or to pay attention. Yeah. <clears throat> yeah. And that's, I mean, I, this is something I stole from Alan Green from the sync book guy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And he, he said, you know, cause I used to say synchronicity was like a signpost along the path. And he said, no, no, synchronicity is like your compass when you're out in the open ocean on a cloudy day, right? So mm-hmm. if you're on the open ocean, you can't even get your bearing at all. And you use the compass to, to, to get your bearing, to get your, mm-hmm. to your fix. And, and uh, I mean, obviously it's a metaphor, but, you know, that, that I think is a cleaner metaphor than the signpost along the path. Yeah. Obviously, all the most of the stories that you've been receiving, Mike, are coming from the United States and or from uh, uh, English-speaking uh, nations. Given well, that obviously that your 
uh, block even experience is uh, in the United States as, as, and it's in English. But I'm I'm curious to know whether you have received uh, uh, all stories from non uh, non English speaking nations. You know places like I guess I, don't I know, can. Latin there's America. a there's a there's a great one from Brazil. Ah, and the woman there, her name is Susana, mm -hmm. and she um. She spoke a little bit, her, her email correspondence back and forth was a little bit broken, so I cleaned it up a little bit, not much. Little yeah, yeah. You could and then there was a fellow from Sweden who, mm. very interestingly, I can't remember his name now, it's, and I couldn't, probably couldn't even pronounce it, Olag or something, but he, um, he had been, he said, oh, this is interesting, you know, like I, I, I do this UFO research and also research into the occult. He's written a few books, but they're not on UFOs, they're on the occult. And uh, and he said, you know, it's funny that I never noticed this, but like I I've collect owls, and that's his, uh, which I hear a lot, you know, especially people's mothers will say, <laughs> like, oftentimes people with these experiences will say, you know, my mom collected owls. It's not that's not I've heard that a few times. It's not like 100. percent It's not an overriding um, uh, uh, theme, you know, but it does is something that shows up every now and again. I think that, was, so that was pretty. Uh, I don't know if I'm. Uh, uh, popular back in the 70s, right? Well, it's popular now. I think it's always been popular in a way, you know? Mm -hmm. So, um, yeah, I, you know, it's, I mean, the owls are, I think it's interesting because I, you know, I think it would be cats, dogs, right? Those are yeah. the things that yeah. like, then on the most, like lunch boxes, let's say, cats, dogs. And then I don't know, what would it be? Like horses, owls, you know, maybe eagles, wolves. I don't know where this would, but there's like a, just a few really iconic animals that you would, yeah. and also owls are really simple. seem to, to be on there too. Dolphins, well, dolphins, yes. Yeah. Dolphins, yeah. So, whatever. All these. Have you yeah, heard so. of any other thing? Like, is there any like different, or even in your research, like folklore about any other animals at all having this sort of uh, ability? Deer. Oh, deer. Someone could write a book on deer. I'm not the person to do it because I haven't had any <laughs> deer experiences. But um, I think deer. I think someone could write a book on deer, and then and then that would um, uh, could play out. You know, with similar to this, but deer have a different. Deer have a different um, archetypal symbolism than an owl, right? So deer's symbolism mm. is much more grounded and earth-based and, and mm. nurturing, and it's about you know the the, the uh, transformative and and restorative power of the wilderness, you know, and mm. and the forest, and and uh, you know deer are a symbol of fear, right? So deer are very timid and they run away and things like that. So deer are symbolic of this kind of timidness that has to be overcome you know so if you it so yes that, that's the one animal that that i've come up with is is deer and then uh that could and that's the second most popular popular i'm not sure if that's the right term the the you know if you were to the the uh, the screen memories kind of go uh owl would be number one that's what most people see then deer and then there's a bunch thrown in there that are kind of cats and raccoons and things like that um Is there a maritime equivalent? Like, I know you hear stories about, like, whales visiting lost ships when they're lost at sea and guiding them to, sto guiding them to shore and stuff like that. Like, I wonder if there's any connection You know, I don't, there. I mean, there must be. I don't really know if there's a, I mean, there, you know, in there's places where, you know, I mean, they have different set of, of folklore, you know, uh, the, the Eskimos have different folklore than the, than the, you know, Aboriginal tribesmen of, of, of uh, Australia. So, you know, I mean, your, your terrain is going to dictate a lot of that, yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> Yeah, even though that owl seemed to be present in almost every continent of the world, right? 
Except Antarctica, yeah. Except yeah, Antarctica. So yeah, so there, yeah, owls are very and very common. Actually, that's one of the yeah. interesting things, and it's very hard to research owls, like you know, especially small owls, because the smaller the owl, the less likely they are to come out during the day. So you know, they're, they're, they're night animals. So as a researcher, how do you research? You know, how many owls are in Yellowstone National Park? You know, how would you get an answer to that? You know, because you mm. there's no way to know because you because you can't go out and count them during the day. You'd have to, you know, it'd be. I mean, if you could get a pretty good answer if you had a lot of money to spend. But um, so yeah, so these there's owls are extremely common. They're not allowed in and, Antarctica because of the underground Nazi. Oh, the That's because there is no Antarctica. It's just a wall <laughs> at the outer edge of the flat earth. <laughs> you You know, a lot of people have worked in Antarctica. <laughs> yeah, They're no, I'm there. I'm on pay, on on. Uh, I think Antarctica exists and that the world okay, is right. No, no, I, I trust okay. you. Perfect. <laughs> penguins. I don't know if there's a penguin book out there. Ooh. I just, <laughs> for some reason, I just love penguins. I can't get enough of them. I'd love to have a little penguin. Well, I mean, yeah, penguins are cute. And I mean, actually, little owls are super cute too. So It's like yeah. minus 30 degrees here right now too. So you could, a little penguin would be right at home. <laughs> oh, that's right. You're in Canada, aren't you? Yeah. You're in Vancouver? Uh, Calgary. Oh, Cal- oh, yeah, yeah. Okay. I came from Just Vancouver, east of the Rockies. Yeah. So, Mike, Mike, you've done a lot of uh, outdoor work too, right? You used to teach people how to, um, uh, like, overnight camp and stuff, right? With, uh, you know, with a pack and all that kind of stuff, packing all your lightweight gear and everything. <clears throat> Do you well, think I've done lightweight um, gear and and what would be traditional backpacking, right. and as well as you know, winter camping and mountaineering oh, wow. and a uh, glaciated stuff? Yeah, so I got a lot of, got a lot of. I got a lot of gear. I got a lot of sleeping bags. I got it's a couple. Like a, que- I got a couple of questions. Okay, related, ask away. Related, I'll, related yeah, to that. I mean, or just comments. I mean, how do you think that that or did that all that outdoor experience and all that? How did that? Um, I don't know. If, how did it play into this this uh, this part of your life, or did it set the stage for it, or did it? Uh, was it part of the the path all the, all the way along? Do you think? You know, that's a tough one to answer because I was actually. Like I moved to New York City when I was 19, yeah. and then I went to one year of college and dropped out. I was a skilled illustrator, so I dropped out of college and then just got a job at an ad agency doing what they called spot art or mm-hmm. sketch art and storyboards and things like that. Um, uh, comp art is what they would have called it. Uh, but, um, you know, so, and then I spent like, you know, I spent 10 years as a yuppie in New York City. I didn't, didn't thought of going outside and doing that kind of stuff. Never really occurred yeah. to me until yeah. just the end of that. And and I uh, I moved out west and was a ski bum for a year. And that's when it really hit me. Would have been the summer of or the winter of eighty six, eighty seven. I think is the first year but I did what it. What mo- so, moved you to become a ski bum? Well, I always loved to ski, and okay. and uh, so skiing was something. I grew up in Michigan, and the skiing is like. I mean, I still have like nightmares, you know, like sort of the thing. You know, people have like nightmares about their junior high school. Like, oh no, I'm back in my junior high school, and I have like nightmares. Like, oh my god, I'm back at like Nub's Knob skiing in, in northern <laughs> Michigan. So, um, uh, but I, uh, yeah, I'd always grown up skiing, and I loved it. And then I so I moved out west and started skiing, and that very quickly turned into working for this outdoor school. I started doing some very ambitious camping trips and such. So. Um, and you know, so the trips I was doing, they were 30 days long. I would you'd go out for 30 days in in the mountains and, uh, uh, you know, with a, with a team of students and, um, really powerful experiences. So in a way, 
what it allowed me to do was to feel very comfortable in the outdoors, mm. all that outdoor stuff. Super comfortable. So I'm totally at peace, like lying on the ground. I'm to peace. Basically, I'm at peace being dirty and filthy, right? You know, get mud all over your stuff and you, you know, don't shower for weeks and, and on end and stuff like that. That feels very normal to me. Um, the, uh, it just allowed me to feel comfortable. And there's a sort of, there's this, I don't want to say poetic aspect of it because that's not the right word being outside so long but there's almost like it becomes normal yeah. right? once you sort of like your it becomes your world yeah. right you know so you're you're out there and you you realize you don't need to be inside you don't need a uh, you know you don't need a bathroom you don't need you can drink out of you know there's there's techniques and stuff to do all this these things which but but i mean you realize like oh it's 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 like i'm fulfilled out here yeah and so i felt very very comfortable and fulfilled being outside and and um and i guess there's a sort of you know i don't really know how much where it overlaps with it you know i, I where because it it some of the experiences i talk about in the book happened because i was sleeping outside under the stars yeah mm-hmm. and and so there's that aspect to it but i mean i mean there's plenty of people who've had profound, you know, seeming UFO contact experiences that never do any of that. And that happened, you know, that takes place in New York City or, you know, in the suburbs or something like that. So so there's nothing really special about sleeping outside on the ground as far as that how it ties into this these experiences. Um Yeah, it would take a while to get comfortable with that though. Like I, I went camping by myself this summer and, and uh <laughs> He was scared in that tent the whole time. <laughs> and I was in my tent and waking up in the be. middle of the night and like things are walking around and I was oh, God, freaking so out, right? And you don't know how cl- like they sound like they're right close to you, but it's probably like thirty or forty feet away. But I mean but I've had a couple experiences in tents where I've been so freaked out I can hardly look outside the flap, so and, you yeah. Know, so I mean, I've I had, just... I've had, yeah. I mean, I've had moose, big moose, like get caught in the strings of the tent. You know, there. Oh. But I, most of the camping I do, I don't take a tent. I'll just sleep out under the stars. So. Oh, that's even freakier than. It's cold here. Yeah. So I guess you have, as long as you have a sleeping bag. Yeah. Just as you said that, there's a I could hear a big giant clot of ice fall off the roof here, and the whole house rattled. You know, <laughs> so from this. So. And then, and then my other point on that is, is have you been paying attention at all to this missing 411 phenomenon that's happening lately with all these books and, and all the, you know, disappearances in the national park and like, does your, you know, your fearless outdoor experiences, uh, waver at all with this, uh, it's interesting. Of- cause I, cause I do, I do pay attention to that. And I actually have some, have had some conversations, you know, worth with him and with, uh, what's his name, David Polites. And mm-hmm. I've contacted him basically when I was living out West, I was like, listen, I'm, you know, if you ever need someone on a search and rescue, cause I knew there was, he was doing some stuff nearby. And at that point that it's well beyond the search and rescue, but just kind of the, you know, so contact me. So, uh, he never did, but we did correspond a little bit. Um, uh, and how to say it, like, uh, like I kind of know the statistics. I mean, how many people actually camp in Yellowstone? How many people backpack, you know, yeah, and how yeah. many, like, you know, I'm working for this outdoor school. How many people like, you know, like, so it's a little bit like being worried about like being struck by lightning in a way. Or, or flying or something in the plane. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. How many people fly in a plane versus how many people crash in a plane? Yeah, sure. So, um, that said, his stories are extremely eerie and super spooky. Uh, yeah. but I don't, um, like, I just feel like I, I need the, you know, like taking away someone's just because you hear a scary story, 
doesn't mean you can't go into the wilderness in on a, on an, in its own way. Like, you know, going, we are up here in, uh, uh, are you in, um, close to the Rockies. We're like yeah, an so, hour so from grizzly bears, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah. So, yeah. Got, so, I mean, this is like to, to camp in a place with grizzly bears has a completely different feel than camping in a place without grizzly bears. I mean, you you know, you camp in the the uh, you know the White Mountains of of, uh, of New Hampshire. It does not feel like you're camping in in uh, you know the Canadian Rockies. Right, right. It has it. It's so there's there's I think there's something powerful to be said for that for that um, that location or well, you don't just walk the fact around that, you know, with your food when you camp around here. Like you make sure you tidy up your camp at the end. And, yeah, well, yeah, but so. at the same time, you're you're also you're you're stepping into a to a place with dangers, right? I don't think the dangers that exist in in uh, the White Mountains are the same that the, as the dangers that exist in a place with with uh, you know grizzly bears, for instance. Right. Same thing with you know rattlesnakes, and there's you know uh, you know camping in Australia has crocodiles and things like that. So you're no longer at the top of the food chain. I think that's a really important, valuable lesson for people to have. Mm. We think we live in this really sanitized world. So. Um, whatever reading David Polite's stuff hasn't stopped me from camping. Um, I'll put it that way. Was, was there any, any stories that people sent you that, that might cross over into his work? Like, was there, there people there that had one saw owls and then they went missing for not, not just missing time as in missing hours, but like gone missing, this is, missing or this is one of the stories that, sh- that will show up in the, um, uh, stories from the messengers. The one that has these long format stories. There's a woman, um, she's given me permission to use her first name, Melanie, and she uh, she had an experience where she was she she was had a weird feeling, and she sort of walked away from. She was hiking with her boyfriend, and she just kind of stepped off the trail. And the next thing she knows, she's kind of lying in this meadow, and there's UFOs flying over it, but they're not like structured craft they're like these ethereal trans dimensional amorphic and then at the same time these owls are hooting so this is where the owl thing comes in so she had this owl experience now the way i met her is just crazy synchronistic like i have never actually met her physically we've talked on the phone at great length about her experiences but um you know i she contacted me and she said oh i found your essay you left it at the restaurant um, thanks. Uh, you know, I just, I just, I, I couldn't help but pick it up. But the title intrigued me about owls, and I read it, and it's wow, this is so right on. I had a weird experience with owls, and I'm like, I didn't leave any essay at a restaurant. What are you contacting me for? And she said, Wait, what restaurant? And she said, Oh, it was um, uh, the Green Jade. And it's like, Oh yeah, well, I was at that restaurant with with Micah Hanks. It's mm. the one restaurant I've been in, in in the town where she's she lives. Yeah, I've been at the restaurant with Micah Hanks. Great. Okay, so I must have had the essay, and then I left it there, and I'm like, wait a minute. The last time I ate at that restaurant, the essay wasn't even written, and uh, <laughs> so it was. This, it was like I went like, wait a minute, let's back up. So like, Micah, did you leave the thing there? Like, how does how did how did she find? So she just assumed I had left it, even though, but I had eaten at this restaurant. It was just it just went on, and both me and Micah were like completely like just hurt our brain. Like, how did she? find this essay when did it show up and who left it and and so someone printed that essay up went to the restaurant read it and just left it behind or just left it behind on it yeah, by accident and um so that's how i met her so this is weird synchronistic like cloud of like and the synchronous maybe that's the wrong word for it but just like all these things were like converging and and um uh now 
uh, where was it? Oh, so she had an experience of, yeah, so she had an experience of like seeing these kind of trans-dimensional, uh, you know, it's literally the point where I was like, listen, I got to ask, you didn't know, like you take any mescaline or anything like that before you had this experience. She's like, nope, nothing <laughs> like that. Cause it sure sounds like that, you know? So she's, she takes off her clothes. She's sitting by this river and all of a sudden it's dark. She doesn't know how it gets dark. And so there's all these little things that fall into the David Polites thing. She takes her shoes off. She's found, I think some of the people are found either partially undressed or fully undressed, but the shoes off is a big thing. So she's found near, she was lying there near this river. The owls are hooting. And supposedly with the stories that her boyfriend, like, like had been searching, went back and forth along the trail, went off the trail, um, and and actually had walked through that meadow where she said he said where have you been she said I've been here the whole time it's like no you haven't I've been in this meadow uh-huh. um, so and then the, the the search and rescue was called in and there's just this the, the the stuff just so that story in particular I'm doing a very poor job right now of retelling it but that story in particular I sent that to David Polites that's how I started the conversation I don't know if he ever read it it might have been too far out for him but mm-hmm. um uh, basically saying like this. This has the flavor or the mood of some of the things you report in your your accounts. Though she came back and she's fine, and and um, so, uh, but it but there was like because I'm in his reports. These people are often by water. They're often just like just behind the person they're hiking with, and the guy turns around. They're gone, which is her boyfriend's account, and. Um, you know, she took her. She was. She took her clothes off, and which sounds totally trippy and kind of like drug-induced, and she was very clear she wasn't on any drugs or anything. So, uh, but um, anyway, yeah. So I don't. I don't have a. That, so that one is the one that 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 has owls in it, and that feels like one of David Polite's stories. And I had so much so that I sent it to him. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. What do you think, Red? It's interesting. I mean. Yeah, I'm still here, you know, I'm taking it all in and trying to to try to put it all together into some kind of comprehensible tapestry, but I guess it's a completely pointless endeavor, you know. At some point you have to realize that maybe maybe there maybe we're not supposed to to, to understand it all, you know. We're maybe merely meant to run with it better ourselves, you know, and, and, and to try to, to improve ourselves as best we can, you know, the, uh, with this mystery. Yeah, yeah, well said. And I feel like we're actually, like, incapable of fully understanding it. You know, like, we'd almost have to pierce the veil, right? You used to talk yeah. about people who, who have, like, near-death experiences, right? So they like, oh, my God, I was in this beautiful thing. It was timeless. Like, I could see backwards and forwards in time, and I was, you know, I was gone from the operating table for a minute, but then, you know, I have, like, you know, I lived my entire life, you know? So people 50 yeah. years old basically said, yeah, I lived 50 years in this, you know, this, this momentary glimpse into this other realm. And I think, you know, if we could, if we could maybe like a guy on a mountaintop who meditates in Tibet, you know, all his life might have a better insight into these, mm-hmm. to these questions. But I think we are incapable. Like we are like in our 3d, you know, meat, you know, meat sacks here. We're, we're yeah. like incapable of, 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 of coming up with the answers just because we don't have the ability to perceive into the, to this nether realm where where these things are originating from. 
Yeah. yeah, so I guess the point is not to try to come up with the answers, but at least try to come up with better questions. I think that for the past, I don't know, 30, 40 years, uh, uh, people interested in, in, in all this ufology and all that have been making their own questions like, oh, where do these beings come from? Or how do the uh, uh, flying saucers uh, fly, you know, or hover indefinitely, you know? What's the energy they use? And, you know, maybe, you know, maybe we should stop focusing, focusing on all that and trying to say, okay, so, like, this, uh, this uh, thing that you've been saying, Mike, and, and you're not the only one, Greg Bishop, how... Uh, the MUFON questionnaire to, to, to close encounter witness is all about what time was it, you know, and who were you with, and, you know, uh, how, what was the shape of the UFO, and instead maybe they should be asking, like, how, how, how did it make you feel, uh, or how, uh, how have your change in, in spirituality changed after the, the, this UFO sighting, you know? I mean, uh, I think that we've been... Uh, Focusing on on the wrong questions because of we are being trying to mold the UFO mystery uh, th- uh, through the wrong lens, the lens of uh, the the material the material paradigm. And I think that if uh, if we were try if we could uh, move away from the material paradigm, you know, and start to embrace other ideas, even if we never got to the bottom of the UFO phenomenon, that will be, you know, orders of magnitude beneficial for, for, for all of us. Yeah, yeah. And now, just to be fair, now I actually got a hold of someone. I, I know folks that work at MUFON, so I got a hold of some MUFON investigators. I said, hey, uh, you know, I'm not allowed to have them, right? You know, like, it's, it's like, hey, can I, can you send me like the field investigators little check you know, checklist? I'm like, oh, sure. You know, so they sent me the little checklist. Like, I'm supposed to take their little course before I get the little, the little checklist. And sure enough, the majority of it's page after page after page of these questions. You're like, how big was the UFO if you held, if you held it out at arm's length, the size of a penny, a dime, a quarter, a half dollar? You know, um, uh, but in there, there's a couple, not many, but there's a couple questions like, uh, did you have psychic experiences afterwards? Mm. Did you have a premonition it was going to happen beforehand? Um, has your spirituality changed or has your religion changed afterwards? So those, and I think that may be it. Okay. Yeah, I'm doing this that... from memory, but you know, there's like 50 questions and there's three questions that fit that what you're saying. So they so they're aware of it. I mean, you wouldn't put those questions in unless you had seen it in your research, right? The whoever made up the questionnaire said, "Well, here's what I've been finding. We got to follow up on this." Yeah. So so it's in there. Um though, you know, honestly, I think that Mufon is poorly suited to tackle the the, the, these questions and maybe the, you know there's another outfit out there called Free is run by this guy Ray Hernandez yeah, and yeah, Edgar yeah. Mitchell's involved they may be this is exactly what they're going this is their their these are exactly the questions they're grappling with and trying to, yeah. to get answers in what unless they get too big you know like MUFON you know and then they will be caught up with all these MUFON's not that big there's like yeah I guess but like they're, they're, they are the biggest UFO organization in the world right well, I don't know. No, I think your, your North, podcast North probably gets more hits per day than MUFON's site. Yeah, um, it's just, it's just um, I think there's a, a, an organization I mean, in China not count, that's bigger. Yeah, not counting China. Oh, okay, of course. <laughs> <laughs> I 
but I think, yeah, you know, it's just like, I don't know, MUFON is to me is kind of irrelevant in a lot of ways. Like, you know, like, yeah, that, you know, but that said, what's his name? Roger Marsh does post these really nice, you know, uh, sightings reports and he gets those off the MUFON files. So, you know, there's, they're, there's yeah, interesting they're, stuff happening, but I just find, I just, I just feel like they're not, um, like, yeah. I don't know, when was the last time you actually read a MUFON journal or, or like found an interesting article that came out of a MUFON? I got some old ones from like the early 90s. you think those will be worth anything one day when, when, when disclosure happens? I don't know. I think they're all getting no. changed into PDFs. <laughs> when when <laughs> MUFON disappears, maybe they will be like worth something on eBay. Yeah. Uh-huh. <laughs> oh, there's, but um, oh, what was I going to say? Something about the... Uh, I can't remember. It. I know. I was going to say something about the red pill made it too. <laughs> about the. Anyway, uh, but I agree with you that the yeah, that the uh, the the uh, paradigm. Oh, oh. So that's what I was going to say. So yeah, in the book, it like that was sort of my like all of a sudden like the, when I had to organize the book, I was like, okay, like the stories kind of build and build and build, and near the end, these stories are these people who are having these really powerful transformative experiences either in the presence of a UFO, often not, or, or in the presence of the owl. And, you know, like that, I can't tell you how many times like a uh, spiritual awakening people would say, Oh yeah, well that's when I had my spiritual awakening, you know, it was right <laughs> around the time I had, you know, saw this owl and like, you're kidding. And like, Oh, this is just, it was, it was, you know, so people are changing. People are, and I'm including myself in this, like the act of writing this book and the act of wallowing in this um, has, has I don't know, spiritual awakening is something I don't feel like I've had, but I certainly have had a, mm. uh, a like a change in direction in how I look at reality. Let me put it that way. Are you still reluctant to, to attempt to start a meditation practice? You know, a lazy, I think, is better worth it. So, <laughs> it's better I could, I could drink coffee and, like, read UFO reports online, and, or I could, I could, you know, sit for 20 minutes. You know, once in a while, I'll do it. I mean, I get in a habit, and I'll do it for two days in a row, and then, then three months later, I'll get in the habit and do it for two days in a row again. So, uh, I should. I think it would be good for me. I think it would be good for everyone to just sit and be quiet for a while. But, um, um, yeah, you know, I, I know I should, and, and I can, and I enjoy it. And when I find, when I actually do it, I have a little meditation stool. It's downstairs, kind of tucked behind the couch a little bit. And it's, you know, so. It's one of the simplest things that's easy to do that's hard to, hard to actually keep doing. I, I, yeah. I run into yeah. the same thing. I constantly tell myself I should be doing certain <coughs> regular practices. There's Not, a line in the book, which I, which I, which I like. Uh, uh, there's a fellow that um, uh, used to, we used to talk on Sunday mornings, we'd call on the phone and we'd have these long talks and, and uh, he he had a guru and went to meditation retreats and and you know um, did this kind of all this hard work with with this kind of uh, you know these retreat groups and stuff like that so silent meditations and things um, so we would talk about the reality and stuff and this and this and I was coming from this you know reading UFO books and he was coming from this other thing and we'd and we'd kind of two guys, right? This is very typical of guys to like compete. Right? Oh yeah. You think you're enlightened? Well, how about this? I can tell you this story. Oh yeah. Well, so it was kind of childish how we would needle each other. But, and finally he would just get so worked up and he was like, I can't believe you don't meditate. And I would snap back like, I can't believe you don't read UFO books. Um, because in a way I think that there's like a, you know, I mean, you, you, you meditate in order to, to have a greater understanding of reality, let's say. And, and yeah, I think that's I'll- what, the reason you read UFO books. Although, I mean, uh, if you think about it, uh, Mike, uh, 
since, since you are an illustration artist, I think that drawing is a form of meditation. I mean, it's especially with your kind of very elaborate form of drawing, you know, the kind, I'm thinking of the illustrations you made for, for Mac Tony's book, The Crypto Terrestrials. You really can't do that kind of stuff, you know, of putting all those lines and, you know, and, and doing all, 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 all the, the, the pencil work and then the ink work. If you are, if your mind is like elsewhere, right? I mean, you need, really need, there's a moment in which uh, a big part of your brain shuts up and you're still, and you're just like there, you know, doing this almost automatically. And, you know, I think that's, that's, I feel akin to meditation. I agree, sure. And I mean, I mean I'm sure that anyone, I'm sure like the, the painter who paints the house gets into that same mode. Yeah, I'm yeah. Sure, you know, like going along a bicycle ride and you get in the same mode. So yeah, so there's lots of things that can induce some meditative-like thing. And then certainly drawing is one of them, yeah. So it's interesting. When I draw for work, I, I have a totally different vibe than when I draw in the sketchbook for myself. Of course. It's got a completely different feel to, the, to how the work, you know, just feels you know how the how the pen feels in my hand let's say yeah i think uh i think before we go too far because i i want to fit people people are probably listening to this going okay like i want to hear about some of these experiences of likes. <laughs> yeah, um, let's hear more else. and it's gonna and it's gonna you know time's flying by already yeah so uh we should probably i mean mike you've got a some really interesting synchronicities and things that, that, that led you towards this book and, and the stuff that happened after the conference. I mean, I don't know. I know you've probably told these things like a hundred times or a thousand times. So, you know, but I think for, for some of our listeners who don't necessarily listen to all the same podcasts we do, it'd be interesting to hear. Well, the thing that happened after the conference, you're talking about the March 10th, 2013 story, which That's I my call birthday. my confirmation. Ooh, it is. <laughs> yeah. Very interesting. Um. Do we need a? Do you want to? Is this a synchronistic uh, um, tale, or should we? Should Darren? Well, that's the problem with that one. To tell it correctly, is it's so visual, and it need does the you know the, what I would say is for anyone who wants to hear that story, either one buy the book, or two get online and there's a there's a uh, thing that I did at the Exopolitics UK conference oh, yeah, in right. 2014, and then I have visuals like I can actually it's me with PowerPoint. Oh yeah, there's so a video on your website, apps. right? The videos that's right at the yeah, top yeah. of my website. Yeah, yeah. yeah. So, so I could probably um, so, yeah, tell you so exactly like they, where I was. To tell yeah. that story correctly it takes about a half hour, and 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 then if I just did it off the cuff, I would, you know. Mm-hmm. Anyway, well, we can, we can skip. Well, we can skip that story. I mean, I, I know that has to do with, um, I think, some of the maps and stuff out in the spots. But I mean, you also had that some synchronicities that led to to your. I don't know if it was your blog or your podcast and. Uh, via oh, Facebook and here. the like, one uh, there was a couple via. Red Pill Jackie knows more about the now. <laughs> Earth, I think so. Can yeah. I play a jingle? Yeah, Darren how about that story in which uh, in which that uh, friend of yours from you know your early childhood yeah. like pinged you from that's Facebook? One, that's right what I'm thinking you, of. Yeah. Oh, okay, okay. So this one, this one I actually haven't told in ages, and okay. I almost hey. forgot about this one. This is hey, a, Darren, so, Darren wants um, to play his jingle first here, Mike. So oh, the oh, this will get a tent. So well, yeah. Which, is there a which, little jingle like it's like like a little like i got a bunch right you can even pick listeners, a, listeners a, do some jingles for us so. there's synchronicity city rambling gram synchronicity or synchronicity acapella just play one okay
I want a good skull for my synchronicity. Graham reads it out, then Dara might give it to me. Hey, don't you please read it low? Yeah, yeah. <laughs> That's from our listener, not Morgan in the UK. Thanks, buddy. All right. Um, Oh, so so uh, okay. So th- this is oh, good. This is good. This is, because I haven't told these stories in this format in a while. And this one, this was the one that totally, fre- totally freaked me out. Um, mm-hmm. So I, uh, growing up, I had a story, and this happened in, when I was twelve years old. It was nineteen seventy four. So I was walking home from a high school football game. This would have been a night in the autumn, oh, Michigan. Yeah. Very calm, very, you know, autumn night, beautiful weather. So I'm walking home with a friend of mine. His name is also Mike. And we walk from the high school. It's a half mile to my house. He lives a little deeper into the neighborhood. It's a little more than a half mile for him to get to his house. So, but I wanted to be home. It's Friday night. I wanted to be home in time to see a television show, which is Kolshak the Night Stalker. And in order to, you know, so I figured I should have been home around 930. So we're walking along. And there's a there's a house in the neighborhood, and I mean I could I could go there with a piece of chalk and put the X on the sidewalk. I know exactly where we were standing, and I I did this. I actually got a uh, Google Earth image and put the put the uh, uh, you know X right where where, where the, the event took place. Now this house is my friend, my childhood friend. Her name is uh, it's a pseudonym. Her name is Cindy Gale, and um, so it was right in Cindy Gale's front yard um so we're walking home we're like coming along and all of a sudden we get to this point and it feels like there's like this weird orange flash but what it felt like was felt like god flipped a light switch and just turned on the nighttime sky from from calm darkness to bright orange like rich illuminated orange like the same color orange you see when you look at coals in a campfire whole sky 100 percent even rich illuminated orange boom and then one second off gone so god just went click on click off that's my memory i remember it was totally silent i remember being with my friend going wow what just happened we were both like super jarring like what just happened we were like was it a meteor no that doesn't make sense was it an explosion no it was quiet was it thunder off or lightning off in the distance no that doesn't make sense either so i get to my house i say goodbye and he keeps on walking to the neighborhood and i um I walk in the house. My parents are angry at me. I'm like, what are you angry at me for? And they're like, well, you're, you're, uh, you're out late. You're, you shouldn't be out this late. Um, like, what do you mean? It's 9.30. I'm home in time to see this television show. And I point to the clock. I point to the television. And the 11 o'clock news was ending. So that puts it right around 11.30. Now, uh, I remember at the time, this is way before Bud Hopkins or anything. It didn't mean anything to me. Like, why do how, like, so I was just like, how did I miss the show? I'm totally bummed out. My, why are my parents mad at me? <laughs> so I, um, uh, the next Monday in school, hold on, I'm going to cough, excuse me. <coughs> it's a little dry. Um, so, my, so I met them on uh, uh, Monday morning, right? Or Monday during school day sometime. We're at the cafeteria and my friend Mike is there. And I said, oh, this weird thing happened as we were coming home from school, you know, or coming home from the high school football game. And, they, and my friend just interrupts and he goes, yeah, we saw a UFO with lights and everything. And I remember thinking at the moment, like, wow, I never saw a UFO. This is how stories get blown out of proportion. He is exaggerating. He's making this up because I never saw a UFO. Um, and I never brought it up again. Um, now, actually, can we swear on the show? Oh, yeah. Yes. Okay, okay. yeah. 
So, so <laughs> what the actual quote is, the actual quote is, yeah, we saw UFO with fucking lights and everything. Uh, so you can see a little 12 year old boy, like, all yeah, all righteous yeah, about yeah. Like, what, what had happened. So, um, now that story, I had actually written that story up as a little diary entry and kind of typed it up and it was all set to go. And so, uh, and I, and I'd even, and I would, since I started the blog, I realized like, wow, if I put that story on, that story has all the earmarks of UFO abduction. Like I wasn't going to go there. I did not, like, I didn't want to contemplate that. I just wanted to deny that. But I recognized that that story would, would anyone with an insight into the UFO lore would say like, wow, that sounds exactly like UFO you know, so so you wrote this up. You wrote this up in like 2009 or something like that, or I would have written this up bef- well before, before like, of the advent of the blog. So like I probably wrote this up in 2005. Okay, okay, yeah. And it just kind of was sitting around, and and I had it typed up, and and so then I cleaned it up a little bit, I bet, and then and then added the illustrations. And all I needed to do was just drop it in place, right? So it was all ready to go. So there was a day in 2009, very early on in the blog, we can just trace back and you can see the day it happened because the story, the secondary, this echoing story is actually more important. So it was a day, I was in March, I was skiing. I was out all day skiing, cross-country skiing. And I was like, during the day, it was like, today's the day I'm going to go home and I'm going to put this on the blog. This is the day I'm going to put that story, the orange light missing time story on the blog. So it's sun goes down early. It's nighttime in my cabin, got my computer. I'm typing away and cleaning it up. And then I, my hands kind of freeze over the, like basically all I have to do is hit the little button that says post, right? Or go live with your blog post. Everything's all formatted, ready to go, the illustrations and stuff. And I'm like, my hands freeze over the keyboard. I'm like, I'm a coward. Can't do it. And at that moment, there's an audible ping. And it was an email that came in. It was two emails, actually, back to back. One of them was from Whitley Strieber saying, like, hey, well, yeah, I'm reading your blog. I like your blog, which I totally blew me away. And the other one, which is the point here, the other one at the same ping was from Cindy Gale saying she wanted to be my friend on Facebook. <laughs> There's a little ping yeah. in the background. I don't know what that was uh, somewhere in the audio here. Uh, now, Cindy Gale, the last time I talked to her was when I was 12 years old. We'd lost touch. I had talked to her in 37 years, 38 years. I can't remember. I would do the math, but somewhere around 38 years, I hadn't talked to her. Either. So that was the moment. My hands above the keyboard. Me saying out loud, I'm a coward. I'm not brave. At that moment, Cindy Gale contacts me and says she wants to be my friend on Facebook. Immediately I get a hold of her. It's like, oh God, this is so weird. What the hell is going on? And and you know, like, is this Cindy Gale from from the suburbs of Detroit in Michigan and like went to Bernie Elementary School? And she's like, oh yeah, yeah. So um so I say, okay, this is exactly what so I just tell the story. I'm telling you and I had it all written up. I sent the diary entry to her. She gets back to me right away and she says, Oh that's interesting. I got a lot of UFO books. <laughs> wow. And there's some things that are like, oh my God, to tell the story correctly. Some of this is very private and I don't want to get into it. Not private, like, you know, super private, but she shared some stuff with me that was weird enough that it, 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 it makes this story so powerful for me. And that was the point where I'm like, well, now I gotta put this on the blog. So basically like 
like, oh yeah, they're like, they felt like the, I was saying to the universe, I'm not brave. And then like, oh, you want a kick in the pants? Well, here's a kick in the pants. <laughs> yeah. Okay, Darren. So help me. You don't give this a 10. Do you have any questions, Darren? Or? <laughs> no, I get it. Email from the girl's ho- girl who's the girl's host yeah. when he was yeah. contemplating on posting the blog. Yeah. Who's also okay. been buying UFO books and stuff too. Verdict? Uh, 9.5. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Okay. That's pretty good. I think that's like tied. Yeah. I mean. Tied for uh, first out of three people, I think. Yeah. Have, have I, I have a few questions with regards to this. You know, so, Mike, have you uh, gone back to that old neighborhood after all those years? Well, I had because I grew up there and I was, I spent a number of years afterwards there, right? So my parents lived there. Yeah. But, but uh, I moved away long before I had any interest in, I mean, you know, my parents moved out of the neighborhood long before I had any interest in UFOs. So, so honestly, no, I haven't been back in the neighborhood in 20 years, I bet. And second question is, uh, I know that at some point that you wanted to, to that you got in, uh, regained touch with this old, uh, your friend, Mike, but that uh, uh, you haven't yet like told him all of this, you know, that uh, like uh, sharing all. I haven't. Basically, yeah, like I haven't asked him the question. Yeah. So like, uh, I got I mean, I'm in touch with him enough that, you know, Facebook and things like that. You know, I mean. Or, uh, obviously, you know, by now, if, if he sees that you've written a book. About I've thought about it. I've thought about it. <laughs> he's like, I'm not going to surprise him when I ask this question. So, because he's, okay. uh, but yeah, so, so, because um, it's all over my Facebook page and stuff like mm-hmm. that. So, yeah, so that is one thing that, that before I die, okay. I got to make sure to do. And I should do it um, uh, soon. Mm-hmm. I haven't. Uh, and, and it's funny cause there was a point when they weighed so heavily on me, like what, what's his memory of that night? And now, like, it feels like I've moved on where, where there's much less stress associated with that night. Uh, third where question. Before is, there would have been tons. Okay. Third question is that, that I know that you, uh, attempted to, 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 to gain more insight on that particular event, uh, with the help of Bud Hopkins and other people using, uh, hypnotic regression and, uh, there was this like block, you know, even Whitless Trevor, uh, 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 sorry, Bud Hopkins told him, you know, you, my friend, are blocked. Like there is, yes. there was some m- mental barrier that impeded you from, from g- gaining more insight of what happened on that particular night. And so my question is, do you think that now you're ready to, to try to you give know, it an, another shot? You know, it's interesting because I think that that was... So there was a, the, the, so I had, there's like a, was a video camera going when I was being hypnotized and there was a audio thing, you know, so it was recorded. So there's, you know, there's, I got the footage of it. There's Bud sitting next to me. I'm lying there. It's really, I mean, whatever. It's the most boring thing in the world to watch because I'm laying like totally still and Bud's asking these questions very slowly. And there's these long pauses and I give this like little three or four word answer. Um, so, you know, he felt very strongly that I was under and and it was interesting because he's like, okay, let's go back. And I didn't feel like hypnosis is a weird thing. Like it's yeah. it's. I mean, there's plenty of reasons to be skeptical of hypnosis, but there was there was a you know. So he okay, let's go back to that night in 1974. And like, okay, where's your friend? And and then all of a sudden, I'm like lying there, and like my eyes are closed, and I'm like, see this little kid, right? Like wow. a little kid with with. And it was, you know, took me a second to realize, like, oh my gosh, it's a 12 year old boy. That's my friend. Wow. It's Mike. 
So, but it was jarring because it was just, it was out of context for me. It was so young. And he said, okay. And then, so we're going through the neighborhood and, and I had drawn a little thing like, okay, here's where the high school was. Here's the road we had to cross. And here's where Cindy Gale's house was. And here's where my house was. So I did a little thing on a piece of paper. And I said, okay, we're going to cross this road. It's got two lanes on it. And, uh, and in the hypnosis, all of a sudden I blurred out, it's four lanes. It's four lanes. The hip road we're going across used to be two lanes some point in elementary school, they widened the road out and it was four lanes. And I was remembering it as two lanes, but it was actually four lanes. I saw that very clearly in this vision. And then, and then I remember like, there's a spot on this, there's just the way the gravel would, would, would like be in the, you know, at the edge of the street and stuff like that. And I saw it so vividly, clearly. And then Bud would say, okay, now you're at that point and, and this, the flash happens, what happens? And I'm like, um, Nothing happens. Uh, it feels like uh, uh, it feels like like the videotape is on pause. It's like okay, and um, okay, so let's let so he tried everything. You know, you could, like there's like these little. Uh, like he said, okay, let's pretend we're watching it on TV. You know, and so you're watching it on TV, and like they just the TV's rolling along. What do you see? Well, we're walking along, and then we just kind of stop right that spot. He's like, okay, okay, well, let's try this. Okay, let's think about it. You're, you're like on a, like, you know, those movie cranes, you know, where the camera is. Let's, it can bring you way up above and you're looking down at yourself. What's happening? I'm like, well, we get to that spot and, uh, and then we just stop and nothing's happening. And he says, okay, let's imagine it's on a stage and you're going to, let's, uh, like, you're going to part the curtain, you're going to peek through. And what do you see? It's like, well, we're just standing there where nothing's happening because everything's frozen. And it just went on and on. And finally, it was just time to move on. And, and, uh, and then at the end of the day there, you know, so Bud is in his loft there in, in Manhattan and I'm saying goodbye to him. And he's a very sweet guy and a very likable guy. And, and so he gives you a big hug and he's very, very charismatic. And he was old at the time and not well at that point. He was already well into his illness. So he was weak and frail. But at the same time, he was gave me a big hug and he said, you know, I've been doing this a long time. And I've seen a lot of people that are blocked and you, my friend, are blocked. So uh, I... So the other question was, would I consider doing it again? Yeah. Um, I guess so. You know what I want to do before I do that again is really like feel like I've exhausted every avenue of before taking that step. You know, like mm-hmm. if I, you know, like mm-hmm. I guess I should ask the guy Mike again, like or for the yeah, I guess yeah. I asked him at the cafeteria in the junior high school in 1974. But I should ask him now. Whatever this is, 42 years later. Yeah. So. <laughs> Yeah, I agree. Because, you know, uh, I've grown very skeptical of hypnotic regression, not for the reasons that, you know, the the skeptics, uh, you know, like chastise it, you know, that, oh, they're implanting false memories into into all these, you know, poor, gullible people, you know, who think they were abducted by aliens. No, I think that maybe the reason why there is this blockage in in, in, in people who, who claim the the alien abduction scenario is because they are not ready to integrate it into their their normal awareness, you know, their normal state of consciousness. You know, maybe maybe when they are ready is when, you know, like the the, the, the floodgates are open and that's when you know that that that's what that's when it happens. You, you know, know, it's interesting because the event that took place on, on March tenth, exactly. two thousand thirteen. Yes. That one is much less laden with fear. Mm-hmm, that mm-hmm. seems very amiable and very peaceful, and there's no sense of dread associated with it. That, like, looking back on that missing time event, as I retell the story now, I've told it so many times, and kind of go on autopilot away when I tell it. But, but that 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 event 
less so now, but when they did the hypnotic regression, which would have been 2008, um, that was laden with dread, and and uh, and I had every right to be scared. And I mean, I'd read so much UFO literature at that point. I think I could have confabulated, you know, something pretty scary. But at this point, I feel like I'm, you know, a little more at peace and and a little less kind of. Oh, I needy, I guess is the perfect word. You know, like if there was a point when I was really needy, like I needed an answer. And you can go back in my old yeah. blog posts and like, you don't have to read between the lines and you can tell that I'm like just kind of writhing in this kind of, you know, anxiousness, this kind of yeah. like, I was clinging to this denial in a way that was kind of helpable. Oh. Hmm. Yeah, no, I mean, uh, like people uh, in the field say that uh, these, uh, uh, missing time, you know, is is the work of the aliens who are deliberately erasing the memories of the people in order for for us not to find out what happens. And I, I'm so skeptical of that I I honestly suspect, and I don't I try to not use the word believe. I I suspect that that is a normal functioning of the human mind. So that something that is so beyond your scope. Of, of perception that is so incomprehensible that there, there's no way you can try to fit it inside your little neat mental boxes in, in, in your brain that then is like automatically disregarded, you know, like, no, nope, this is like, you know, send it, send it to the back of, the, <laughs> of your, or your subconscious because, you know, there's no way we can fit this in. You well, know, you know, I mean, Perhaps, but I mean, maybe it's, maybe it's set up really well for that, but I'm just thinking of like in a case like uh, the Allagash folks where there were four people mm. and they all had the same missing time. You know, they all kind of had the same break, you know, the same break, you know, like whatever, like they, 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 it feels like the, the movie of their experience all of it had the same exact frames cut out, like the scissor cut at one point, and the scissor cut at another point for all of them, and it, and it got glued back together with that part missing. Yeah, so, they were all they are all human, you know. They were all like, like you know, male, you know, human beings, you know. Yeah. Like subjected to more or less the same kind of life experiences. Perhaps, yeah, but it just seems like wouldn't it be a little bit? Wouldn't one remember a little more? One remember a little less? Oh, but it yeah. all seemed like they were on the same page there with that. Mm. So yeah, you I mean and I and I or is it you know are the aliens taking advantage of that ability in us, you know, and can enhance that the same way, you mm. know, you can enhance someone's uh, I don't know, you can like put something in the drops in someone's eyes and make them, you know, their eyes dilate, you know. So yeah. did they take advantage of some innate thing that we have in a human psyche, the ability to to block out Yeah. Uh, yeah, and thanks. of course, and there's also, you know, the things that uh, someone like uh, my friend Joshua Cochin, who you should try to get in contact, you know. And, yes, we, we did yeah. a podcast together at one point, so I have spoken with him. It's, okay, yeah, yeah so the, all these ideas, you'd like, you know, uh, the stories of people uh, g getting these uh, drops or these, uh, uh, the, the entities forcing them to eat this really, really acrid, really uh, horrible thing that apparently made them forget the whole, the whole experience, mm -hmm. you know, which has also some parallels with uh, uh, Greek mythology and all that. So, yeah, it's, 
it's difficult to to ascertain what's going on, but at the same time, I think that getting back to this idea of, of the the UFO researchers are asking the wrong questions is like, well, you know, this idea is like, oh, why are the aliens making us forget? Like, I don't know. I think that uh, it's it's just so nonsensical for me to think that. These beings who have, seem to be so powerful, you know, I mean, this, they have capabilities well beyond our wildest imagination. Why would, would they give a, uh, why would they give a damn if we find out that they're abducting people, you know? That, would that st- stop them from, from taking people from their bedrooms? I mean, they're, they're, they have an agenda, is my sense, you know? They, have, they are following their agenda, mm. and part of their agenda is to keep it hidden, but not too hidden. Who is not it? Shermer? There was a guy that was the, the, uh, the yeah. cop that was that was abducted on the side of the highway in like Kentucky or something. Ash, uh, uh, no, Ashville, some 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 place. Yeah, Nebraska, I think. Okay, yeah. So so he gets a you know, and it's a little. It's like kind of one of those old school abductions, right? Where they basically yeah. say, "Come on board," you know, and he walks on board, and as opposed to like you know being lifted in a blue light out of his bedroom or something like that. So he gets you know he basically walks on board with his own volition, and they show him around the ship, and then he's kind of like wisely. It's a question you would ask. It's like, well, why are you doing this? Why are you letting me see all this? And their their answer was, "We want we want you to believe, but not too much." Yeah. And the implication was that he was saying, "You." Humanity, and not you, you know, Shermer, Albert Shermer, Herbert. Sh- I can't remember. His- yeah, yeah, Herbert Shermer. Yeah, yeah, and also there's uh, it falls into this whole idea that Whitley Strieber and other people have speculated about that maybe there's something about uh, belief that lets this intelligence manifest more easily into our realm that maybe, you know, the, the reason why there are these supposed cover-up from the government about the reality of, the, of UFOs is because uh, the more that we believe in the UFOs, the, the more easily they can, like, penetrate into, into our world. Yeah, and like the same thing, like you see a flock of starlings all flying and they fly in one direction and they're just flying, flying in one direction and boom, on the... They're, yeah, they're, they they just change direction all at once, and when you slow that footage down, right? You take footage of that. You know, it's like there's one starling and then two starlings, and it gets got critical mass, and yeah, they all yeah. change direction, and that happens very fast. Mm-hmm. And the mm-hmm. sense is that you know, if humanity did open our minds to this, it could happen very fast. And I remember exactly. Yeah, Whitley Strieber had a great quote. I, I'm doing this off the top of my head, where he said something like, you know, you know, like disclosure isn't going to be like. They're not going to land on the White House lawn. They're going to come through the bedroom walls. <laughs> yeah. You know? yeah. Like in all of our bedroom doors. Yeah. Yeah, that's the implication. Like what happens when that when we hit that critical mass and like all the everything they're they're allowed in in yeah. a in a when they penetrated our our collective psyche in a way yeah. that they that they're allowed in. Yeah, then then they're they don't, you know, they're are they just going to emerge out of the ether and just be standing there among us? I don't know. Yeah. Or maybe then we find out that we're not in Kansas anymore, Dorothy. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) So I wanted to jump in and say uh, that the chances of the owl coming on the screen have now hit 53%. What does that mean? Does more owls? I remember the the owl that we're calling a secret. Well, 53 is by definition, you know, more than chance. Yeah, probable. 
it was probable we would see the owl. Oh, oh! So you did a little. You did a little. Uh, yeah. uh, like yeah. counted how many images and. There's a hundred images on the Chromecast, one of which is an owl. The images last for two minutes, and we've now been talking for a hundred and three minutes. I'm sorry, one hundred six minutes. Well, thanks for your math. Yeah, no, I'm all for that. I, I'm very poor at math, and everyone, when I do use it, I try to use it at good effect. So, yeah, well done. 53% and rising. And uh, Graham, chain, Graham the changed the, the screen to your website when we hit 28%. So the chances were still over one in four that uh, the owl would have come up in that short window of time. And hmm. It hasn't been on this. Yeah. Hmm. I think I might have to question the formula is pretty later. easy. Two m equals one p. Two m equals one percent. Two divided by m equals fifty three percent. Yeah, but but we haven't been on the screen server for exactly a long time. Switched off. It was twenty eight percent. Anyway. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Anyway. Yeah. Well, I'd like to leave it up to you guys. Yeah. Well, I'd like to leave it up to you guys to, to uh, Red and 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 Mike to. Sort of put together some closing mm-hmm. thoughts, I guess. Oops. Mm-hmm. Well, I was my in in my head. I was kind of okay. So, to, Mike, we already know that uh, what's in uh, for you in the horizon is uh, following up on, on on the work that you've done with the messengers with this uh, next book that is like a, 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 a not a sequel but a, like companion book. Mm-hmm. Uh, you know, like stories of the messengers, like like you said, the stories that were uh, so good, but at the same time so long that they couldn't be, f- uh, they couldn't fit into the format of the of the earlier text. Uh, but after that, what do you feel that is is store for you in your in your horizon? Good God, I don't know. You know, I've kept a, I've kept a sort of a gray file here. Um, of stuff that like, oh, you know, I kind of would do writing and I've got some stuff on shamanism that's pretty interesting. And yeah. and um, so I think that this outlying stuff really fascinates me. You know, the stuff that basically, I mean, there's, it's a UFO book, but there's almost no accounts of UFOs in the book. There's some, obviously, but, uh, mm-hmm. but I mean, compared to other UFO books, there's, you know, there's pretty fleeting mention of the actual crafts themselves. Um, there's a, there's a lot of the stuff that's fascinating to me is this, uh, you know, the, the weird follow-up, the transformational follow-up that takes place in people mm. and in these stories. So I, yeah, I wish I, I can't really plan that far down the road, you know, I kind of want to, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I got to get this finished first. Um, but, uh, you know, the overlap with other stuff too. Uh, just is so weird to me. I mean, the fact that people have had, you know, the folks that have had near-death experiences and have had UFO contact, mm-hmm. boy, those people, I mean, like, mm. those people are psychics from yeah. my direct experience. If you've had both near-death experience and, uh, or if you're not psychic, you have some powerful, like, healing mojo or something like that. So, uh, and I can think of a handful of examples huh. You know, right off the top of my head, you know, and and these people are all very, very, very dedicated folks into this weird realm. And what does that mean? You know, like I mean, t- you know, like near death. I mean, actually, you know, people have physically died, gone to the beyond, had the near death experience, and come back again, which is the experience of the owl in a way. Um, so there's these overlaps like that, you know, that are just I just find so 
engaging and engrossing. So I don't have a good answer. Wow, is that, that's an interesting topic. We should explore more, eh, Darren? And For sure. And UFO contact. So is there, is there a trend in... in well, usually the near-death experience happens in the youth. Mm. And, uh, yeah. you know, there's yeah. a story of... Oh, and then sometimes the UFO... Well, there's a story. There's a great uh, story, which I'm reading right now. I talked about it earlier. It's a, her name is Denise Lynn, and she has... Uh, she's written a bunch of books and stuff. I'd never heard of her. And she's had uh, mm. a real powerful owl experience real powerful ufo experience and a near-death experience in her youth and now she's writing these books on you know i'm not even sure how to say it like you know she's basically a psychic and she's doing psychic readings and my you know that kind of thing so and that also uh, mm-hmm. aligns itself pretty nicely with the whole uh, shamanistic journey you know the 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 early death you know the, like, exactly you yeah. know having a, a really Big uh, illness in, in your youth, yeah, where, you, where you where you were in the brink of, of death itself, and then you know you you get back, and then you have all these like like you have one foot on the in one world and the other uh, and other and the other foot in uh, that nether or underworld, right? And, right, and the same you know, thing could be said is for UFO abductees. Exactly, yeah. you know, uh, which prompts the question, Mike. Did you ever have, you know, like some kind of like uh, close call with death at an early? No, age? I mean the near death experience is different than a close call with death, right? You know, mm-hmm. so the so that that's kind of sometimes people say, "Whoa, wow!" I you know like swerved and the car was you know skidding and I almost hit the tree, so I had a near death experience. I'm like, no, 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 that's not what it is. <laughs> so it's going as you have to die and you have to go <laughs> yeah, into light and all things. So. <laughs> I've always thought yeah, but there's also you know I mean with the shaman journey is that you have this big uh, sickness you know and and, and the child well, is well you know I was I would have been in my thirties you know so mm-hmm. I would have been thirty years old and I had a I had a, a you know basically it amounted to a nervous breakdown I was severely mm-hmm. depressed mm-hmm. and really just lost mm-hmm. my ability to function at all and just cracked I mean I was completely trapped in my own sad mind i mean this is a crappy thing to talk about but i mean this you know this is now yikes this is 22 years ago um 23 years ago and uh so you know those events um you know i feel like that event while it may not have like ushered me into Mm -hmm. uh the, the, the shaman thing but it what it i tell you what it did do is like i learned that, um, you know, I would talk about clinical depression in a group, right? You'd yeah, be 10 yeah. people at a dinner party or something like that, you know? And that's like, I'd say, oh, I had this thing with, and I would just talk about it straight up. I didn't try to hide it or couch it. You know, I was, yeah, oh, I yeah. knew it was socially unacceptable in some ways to talk about it. I didn't go on and on about it. But in what would happen is you could see nine people at the table kind of like, yeah, 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 what is this? I hope it's a change of subject soon. Yeah, and then, yeah. you know, one person would come up to me afterwards and say like, I'm so glad you said that because yeah. I had this experience or this. And, and so that's the lesson I learned from it. You know, like I was, I was, I, 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 I recognized. And then there came a point there where I was, I, you know what I do it now, but I do it with, with a different audience, a different, uh, a different group of, People, but there was a time when, you know, people would say like, "Oh, listen, Mike, I, you know, like you talked two years ago. I remember you talked about this thing, and now my brother is having this really hard time with, with mm-hmm, depression, mm-hmm. And, and I don't know where to turn. Do you, could you talk to my brother?" And I'm like, "Yeah, sure." So I would, I was felt like I was being very helpful in those situations, and I feel like I'm 
playing that same role now yeah. with, with people who've had the UFO contact experience. So yeah, so I didn't have the, the out and out shamanic, yeah. you know, death and rebirth, though I did have a death and rebirth of, uh, you know, an older part of me is gone. Like I came out of that a, a better person. I was pent up and tense yeah. before I, that. And I feel like I'm less so now. I still have plenty of problems, but yeah, it's know. so good that you do bring this up because I feel it's something that it's uh, not mentioned too often in, in, in all these, you know, podcasts and uh, on the blogs, you know, the paranormal blogs. So this is how often uh, uh, people in this field have uh, uh, deals with depression. You know, I mean, it happened to me. You know, I mean. I, I, I haven't. I think I even shared it uh, uh, on the Hidden Experience uh, blog, you know, in the comments mm-hmm. section. And I haven't. I have even mentioned it uh, on the Daily Grail. And I, I'm not ashamed, uh, I'm afraid to to share it right now. Yet, so how uh, I also suffered from from pro, uh, depression in, in, in a few years ago. That to the point that uh, a good week for me was a week in, in which I only. F- thought about killing myself like only once or twice, you know? A bad week is when I thought about doing that, you know, like once every hour, you know? It was that bad. And I don't know, I feel there's something about uh, finding your path, finding your path and knowing that you are doing what you are meant to do in this life that helps you uh, uh, pull you out from, from that very dark place. I, I, I hope you. Uh, I hope that resonates with you. I mean, I think that's what happens when, uh, when that the, the depression comes from not following uh, the path with heart. You know, to quote Carlos Castaneda. Yeah. So I'm not. You know, it's. You know, so whether. I mean, people can get depressed, and and, and I feel like I've had bouts of depression over the last many years. It's eased off greatly, and I had a. Yeah. Uh, past life hypnotherapy session, which we can't go into now, but I felt like mm. it had huge benefits for me mm. in clearing up the depression. It's still around, but yeah, it, it just never doesn't have the power that it used to yeah. have. Yeah, I agree yeah. completely. Yeah. Yeah. So, um, uh, you know, so, so yeah, and I'll just say the. the uh, like it, I spoke with Bud Hopkins, you know, and I'd say, okay, here's what's going on in my life. And he would nod and I would tell him these things. And I was like, you know, I've had issues with depression. I've been on and off of antidepressant medication over the last few years. And he would just nod and like, oh, yeah, I've heard that one before. And I, that's that reaction. I got that from a lot of people yeah. that had focused on this, including, you know, David Jacobs uh, and Leo Sprinkle and Barbara Lamb all heard me say that and all just nodded, like didn't even ask a follow-up question. You know, they yeah. were like, oh, okay. Um, so I think that, you know, funny, yes. So, I mean, anyone would say that, yes, if you're following your path and you're on your bliss, you're, you're engaged in the arena of life, of living. And that's, that's, that's what it's all about, you know, following that, that, that pulling that golden thread and, and following your bliss is, is what we should all be doing. But, um, and then there's, you know, other maladies and things that can get in the way, but depression is just one of them that mm-hmm. can, that can rob you of that ability to, to find that kind of joy. Um, so is it the joy of doing something, you know, whatever the stuff that I'm doing, I'm not making any money at it. It's hard work. It's frustrating at times, <laughs> but I still do it. Um, yeah. 
you know, did what came first, you know, the, the clarity of thought. Yeah, yeah. And I did that or did I start doing this and it, and it, and it created a clarity of thought. You know, those are, there's yeah, no good answer, yeah. I don't think. Yeah. Is the podcast coming back? You know, I wanted to start the podcast up again and I need to and it just, there's, there's a, I, yeah. You know, what's interesting, I've been thinking about it and I'm much less, after immersing myself in the book, I'm much less, as a word I used earlier too, a needy. You know, like part of the reason, and you can hear it in the, some of the podcasts, man, I was getting people on the phone, man. I wanted to talk to Brad Steiger, you know, and like, here's my problems, can you help me kind of thing, you know. <laughs> and uh, uh, and I'm much less like that now. So so something has been has been uh, quelled and and I'm a little more at peace now. So I think some of the, 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 the reason I was doing the podcast initially, because I wasn't at peace. Basically, I was needing therapy and there was no therapist to help me. Yeah. yeah. yeah so therapy, so yeah. at this point now, I'm a little more, um, you know, like I don't feel the pull to do it as much, but I want to. I enjoy it greatly. There's a bunch of folks I want to talk to. Yeah. Um, Maybe because now you're supposed to take the other role, you know, being the therapist to other people. You know what I mean? Yeah. Maybe, though I'm not really, you know, so, you know, all I can do, I mean, I would, I'm not really qualified to be a therapist in that sense, but of I certainly course. have but taken on the role of, of the talking to The fact that you can listen to people without questioning them, I think that's therapy enough. And people seek me out because they recognize that, like, exactly. they're just, they've read my stuff and they're like, oh, you're the one person I've got to talk to. And I've, I've mm-hmm. I mean, I got, I've had, oh my yeah. gosh. I've the got, fact that you allow people to get this thing that they have been so afraid to share with another human being out of their chest, I think that's, that's, uh, will be so beneficial to, to, to a lot of people because it, it's happened to a lot of us, you know, in the moment that you know that people get comfortable with you, uh, with you and then they are, you know, uh, brave enough to share this thing that happened to them, you know, and they know you're not going to ch- uh, judge them, you're not going to mock them, you're not going to criticize them and say, oh, well, you know, maybe it was, you know, the planet Venus that, you know, manifested in, inside your bedroom, <laughs> you know, something like that. The moment they know that, even if you don't give them any answers, but only give them the opportunity to get this off their chest, I think that's incredibly positive it will be incredibly healing to to all of them mm-hmm. yeah the, i think this platform is really opening up and it's going to be interesting to see in the next five or ten years where there is just so many people yep, talking yep, about yep. their experience without the ridicule and the judgment and that that could really be the shift perhaps, that we were talking perhaps. about earlier like the hundred yeah, yeah. monkey thing you know where where just we live in an open non-judgmental um, yeah and i've sensed it you know i mean i've sensed it just the fact that you know uh, i've had conversations with travis walton and mm-hmm. and you know who got shit on by yeah. the media yeah, and yeah, whitley yeah. streber yeah. who just got crushed Ugh. coming forward with his story and whitley yeah. you know i mean travis the story was thrust upon him whitley had his own choice whether to share it or not but yeah. um you know the, the the public derision was toxic and venomous yeah. And I, I have had none of that. I've had certain little things where people roll their mm. eyes, and I suspect that you know people have said some things in private when I'm not around where they say, "Ay, ay, ay!" Poor Mike's gone off the deep end. But I've never got any of that to my face. I've never, I've gotten some, some kind of judgmental, derisive comments that have showed up on, you know, message boards and things like that. But I mean, whatever. That's, but it, for the most part, it's been almost nothing, mm. and. uh which yeah. is yeah. remarkable. Yeah, indeed. You know? 
Well, that's great. Well, man, we want to we want to <clears throat> thank you for coming on, both you guys. It was a great chat. Yeah. It flew by. Yeah. I knew it would fly it by. But amazing. It was an amazing conversation. Fast. Good, good. Oh, thanks. Thanks. Show it at sixty percent. Oh, oh, the, the owl showing up. Yeah. Oh, well, oh, they're, yeah. they're not what they. He's, he's wrong. They're it hasn't been on the. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so yeah, keep in touch. Uh, keep in touch, Mike, and we'll, you know we'll uh, when your new book comes out, come if, out. It, yep. if it does come out, and we'll we'll put all this uh, we'll put all these links in the show notes and everything. And and uh, yeah, oh yeah, I want to mention. Oh, I don't think we even said it over here. I, I think I did say really the messengers is the that. title of the book. The subtitle is Owls, Synchronicity, and the UFO Abductee. It's published by Richard Dolan Press, and Rich did the foreword. Uh, and it was pretty darn glowing that forward. I was kind of like, I remember early on when Rich was like, Mike, I, I want to do the forward on this. I'm going to do the forward on this. And I'm like, uh, oh, great. Um, sure. You know, actually in the back of my mind, I was like, oh my God, I want shock to do the forward so bad. And I contacted him and I got basically the politest letter, like of like, uh, thank you, but no, thank you. Uh, um, but anyway, yeah. So, so Rich, are you- are you going to the UFO be, Congress no. this year? Uh, too bad. I know, no. and I know okay. Jacques Fillet will be there, and that's a big deal. So yeah, yeah, me and me and Greg Bishop yeah. are going exclusively to, to try to have like five minutes along with him. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think he's going to be. I mean, people are. I think he's going to be swamped. But at the same yeah, time, yeah, yeah. I, we well, know. Good for him yeah. for going. I don't know if he'll be there for the whole thing. And he's no. And, and he actually not. he um he was very helpful in the book. I mean, he responded to some things, and no. there's a he shared one story which is in the book. Um, so, you know, so he's approachable in that sense, but, um, you know, mm-hmm. paper letter, it's very interesting. He's, he's, uh, so I had to send him a paper letter with a question. So, yeah, well, old school with the bad guy. Oh, yeah. <laughs> yeah. All right, guys. Yeah. Yeah. All right, guys. Yeah. Thank thanks, you so much. This was great. Lot, and it's wonderful to and finally Red. meet you. Red pill. Yeah. Likewise, man. Yeah. That's great. Yeah. Sleep well. Okay. Take mm-hmm. care. Bye-bye. Bye-bye. Bye. And that was our chat with Mike Clowland. What would you think, buddy? Hey, I liked it. That was great. Yes, some spooky tales of synchronicity and owls. Yeah, good to talk to him after years of, you know, like after I met him years ago and listening to him and stuff. Oh, yeah, UFO Congress? Yeah. Yeah, so yeah, um, like the email we read in the intro, if you have had any owl experiences as a result of the show or reading the book, send them in. Yeah. Spam them to Graham. Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, it was good. I like the uh, all the the variety of stuff. The missing four one one stuff comes up again, and all the outdoor camping and came up again tonight too. Yeah, that one's coming up quite a bit. We should have Dave on. Yeah, we probably should. And he's the master of synchros, Mike. He's got, you know, he only talked about a couple of them on the show. I don't know where the time went, but he's That's got where some crazy I first ones. heard about synchronicities. Yeah, was on Hidden Experience, yeah. which I don't think has come up with a show in like a couple of years a year at least yeah <coughs> but hopefully he'll start making those again the back catalog's pretty good he's got some good singers who else gets into them all the time is wilcox wilcock wilcock whatever yeah. same never mind um so yeah, i think that's about it big thanks to mike for coming on the show big thanks to rpj for joining us uh, of course, hopefully you guys can head over to grimerica.ca slash support. Check out all the different support options we have there and sign up for one today or make a one-time donation, get a T-shirt. There's pictures of the shirts there. Um, 
all the usual stuff spam gram sign up for the newsletter review the show tell your friends what do you got that's it buddy that's it yep thank you that's all thanks for listening it's all zero thanks for listening guys and we will see you next week
Take this bad love 